Dark Shadows Literary License Podcast episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family and the friends and foes with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Welcome to the Literary License Podcast. In this Dark Shadows episode, we're recovering episodes 461 to 482. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We have special guests, Jim Storm and Valerie Storm. Hello. Hello. Hi, 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 How are you hi, doing? Everyone. Nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Hey, great to, have, great to have you here. Round of the lights. <laughs> yep. And of course, we have our normal co-host, which is Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everyone. And Tom Diamond. Well, thank you for calling me normal. That's not something that's come to my attention recently. But other than that, uh, hi, guys. I always ad lib, Tom. Hi, guys. What the heck? You know, Jim Jim is writing everything down. He's going to give me a critique later on. (laughs) But hello, hello, everybody out there. And it's great to be here. It's wonderful to hear you. And unfortunately, Jesse Fultz isn't with us because he's doing university work. So good luck with that, Jesse. (laughs) So before we get started, let's find out what everyone's been up to. So, starting with um, you and Jim, last time I think we were talking to you, you were about to get married and you were going on a honeymoon yes, to London. Right. So, how did that go? Oh, my God. It was wonderful. We had a great, incredible. It was incredible. We, we were in a place called Topanga Canyon and this restaurant that was a five-star. Uh, and it, it was just that we had a, a small group, 50, 60 people. And uh, it, it was just... Uh, everybody seemed to really have a wonderful time and it was it was uh really enjoyable it was a beautiful day beautiful people and friends and it it was just fantastic it looks like it's agreeing with you you guys look fantastic and also what was really wonderful was that um well one jim sang to me as i was coming down the steps so my my sons both uh, escorted me down which was terrific and also, we had a lot of the Dark Shadows cast were there. Um, we actually had um, Christopher Pennock is the one who married us. He oh, had a special license yes. to marry us. And so he was fabulous. And then David Selby, a.k.a. Quentin Collins, he read a uh, poem on Soulmates. So that was fabulous. And then Laura Parker actually called me a, a few days before and she goes, what are you doing for your flowers? And I said, well, and I told her what I was going to do. And she goes, well, my daughter has a, is a florist business and we would love to do your flowers. So uh, Laura and her daughter did all the flowers. It's absolutely great. gorgeous. And um, Jim Pearson was there and a bunch of people. And it was just so nice to have everybody join us. It was just great to hear that. Just beautiful. And how did you enjoy your trip to London? Because you went to London afterwards, didn't you? Well, well, actually, we went all over the place. We we started in Paris and, and uh, went to Paris for, I guess, we were there for a couple of weeks. And then we got on a boat, a, a Viking cruise, which I, I wasn't really, you know, it's not the way that I'd like to travel. 
and we went and I'll tell you if, if every anybody wants to take a river cruise along the Danube go to Viking it was just absolutely breathtaking okay. and the cruise itself I mean you look at those wedding cakes that are in the middle of the ocean and those god-awful ships and this was personal it was under 200 people all uh, you know adults no children uh, it was just, and they couldn't be nicer. They couldn't be more accommodating and anything that you wanted, they were there to, to help you and be with you. It was an incredible time. So we, we went up, we started where at Nuremberg and traveled all, all the way up into Budapest. Wow. And, uh, we stopped at the towns and cities and, and we had some just really, and when we broke outside the, itinerary that they had planned uh, we really had a great time we saw a lot of uh salzburg that um, otherwise you wouldn't have seen uh vienna um visited something that i wanted to see since i was a kid was lipizzan horse uh, oh, yeah. trainers and riders and stuff mm. so and valerie you know actually she was the one that did it, it she formed the whole thing it was an incredible incredible trip. and actually what we also too um just to add a, a little bit more is that we flew into paris so what could be more romantic than that really and, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really cool and we had actually had planned to originally we had planned to get married in paris but then we found out we had to be in paris for a month before we could do that so that's why we got married over at the end of the seventh ray which Ended up being fabulous, so it worked out. Um, and while we were planning the honeymoon, Jim came across a letter from his father, who told him he must visit Chartres. If he ever has a chance to visit Chartres in France, that he must do that. So right then, we made our plans to go there and to see the church where they had visited. So that was really fabulous. And one other thing about Paris is that um, Jim's father had written a book called the Valadon Dramas about Suzanne Valadon, who was an Impressionist artist uh, many years ago. And uh, she had lived or, in the, an apartment of Renoir. And we, so we, we were in Paris, we went to Montmartre, and we visited Suzanne Valadon's studio, which was just to be in a place where it was really important to his father was really surreal. So we really enjoyed that. And, That's um, fantastic. Wow. And also, too, as Jim was just alluding to, um, ever since he was a little boy, he really wanted to go see the Lipasan horses. It was like a dream of his. And so we were just so excited that we could actually, um, while we were in Vienna, to go to where the Lipasan horses, you know, had their <clears throat> practice session. And we were able to give a private tour. So that was really uh, exciting. And one other thing is, as you all know, Jim is a, a huge photographer now, very successful photographer, does beautiful work. And um, as part of our trip, as we were going to Nuremberg, we actually took a train from Paris to Nuremberg and stopped in Wetzlar. And Wetzlar is the uh, Leica camera fa factory. So we got a private tour of the Leica camera factory, which was oh, wow. that's wonderful, real highlight, incredible, real highlight. wonderful. And then at the very end, when we left from Budapest, um, we had the opportunity to fly to London and from um, eventually got to the place where Jim had grown up as a, a child. Um, what is, how old were you, 11 or 12? 
12, uh, Emory Down, it's near Lyndhurst. His father was writing, you know, was also writing his book around this time. Um, they had gone to Paris for a month, but they lived in uh, Emory Down. And uh, so we got to go visit his home where he was as, as a child. So to me, it was really heartwarming to, to go and see the, the horses running free in Emory Down and Lyndhurst. It was just a fabulous, fabulous, once in a lifetime, beautiful, beautiful trip. It's wonderful. spectacular. There's an area that I grew up in England that they called the New Forest, which was a land grant given by William the Conqueror back in 1066. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it was where all animals are allowed to rock roam free. So growing up, you had horses, which are still prevalent around now. They call the New Forest Pony, which is quite something. And, uh, you know, you had pigs chickens dogs and cats and also big, i mean they, and you walk out of your door and you know you'd have your front yard filled with you know pigs and, and goats <laughs> but it was a, it was a, it was a storybook existence because it is truly one of the most romantic most beautiful places i'd ever you know i was really lucky really lucky to be able to to uh you know spend time there and then they come back to it after 50 or 60 years. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, of course, things have changed enormously. So to protect the animals and everything, they've put up fences and uh, surrounding the forest, which is good. <laughs> but they do. They, they kept losing horses all the time when they get on the highway and people, you know, don't uh. stop. So anyway, that was a great trip. It was a fantastic trip. So. Yeah. And the good thing is when Vicky comes over to English, she now doesn't know where she can roam. Oh, Maybe. shut yeah. up. You love it. <laughs> Bringing you with me. Oh, no, set you free in the wild. It, 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 it's an extraordinary country. It really is. And the, the, actually, the, the very last night when we were in London, and you may know about this, actually, Keith, is uh, we saw that the uh, theatrical production of Lung was playing over at the oh yes yeah and it was it was really cool the old, Vic. the old Vic theater and the old Vic theater actually ended up being very close to the hotel we were staying at we were staying at the Mad Hatter South Bank yeah yeah you know it huh <laughs> yeah. which was which was fabulous but it was really cool because uh, you know Jim went over to, we had just gone to the Globe to you know see the Globe theater um, having just spent time in Stratford upon Avon uh, to visit Shakespeare's uh, birthplace and a uh, gravesite. And um, Jim saw that the production was long and it was starring Claire Foy and Matt um, a Smith from the crown. And we just, I just went bananas. I said, we have to get a ticket. We have to get a ticket to this sold out production. And so we went up and the guy goes, um, well, it's sold out, but oh my gosh, someone just let go of two of their tickets. And so we got the two tickets. We're closing the orchestra, and it was just a fabulous way to end our honeymoon. It was just, it was just wonderful, wonderful. The old Vic's a beautiful um, theater as well. That's the one that Kevin Spacey used to be the artistic director right. of. Right, right. So, I, I've seen I, quite a few productions there. When I was a young actor, I'd cycled from Paris to London twice, uh, primarily to see Olivier at the uh, at the uh, he was at the old Vic at that time, and. Wow. Uh, and so it, it, I wanted to go back and see 
you know, the theater. And of course, they, they rearranged it a little bit, but for the most part, the house is very much the same. And it was, uh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not rearranged. I mean, the old Vic, they did a little bit of renovation because the Palace Theater, um, they haven't, um, you know, they've, they've done a lot of work um, on the stage and behind the stage. But unfortunately, the seats are the same that they were when Gilbert and Sullivan built it. And <laughs> these, people, these people were small. I mean, the thing is, is like when you sit down there, it's like, I'm cramped and I'm five foot seven. So, and the old, do they, still, so, do they, Keith, do they still have the Gilbert and Sullivan? Where is it in Bournemouth, isn't it? Or yeah. Where, do they and still perform it? God, it's wonderful. Yeah, they still, yeah, they still do. Um, they still get performed quite regularly there as well. Good, so good, a good. lot of the operettas and stuff like this. Yeah, they but can't. I, but I know a lot of our West End theaters is because they're old and and they don't really remodel the audience part of it. And you can see how and you're kind of wondering like back in the day with the women in their great big hoop skirts and everything sat in these really small seats. No kidding. So, I mean, I know that for a fact that my legs kind of fall asleep sometimes if I'm not like, oh, yeah. <laughs> a big production well, is on these older ones. Vic was very, very, it was really comfortable. I mean, they had leg rooms. Yeah. I think they, they, I don't think the boxes were messed with, but I, I think down in the orchestra and the mezzanine, it was, uh, but it was a really enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. My yeah. British, my British fiance, uh, who grew up in Devon and then in Torquay before she came to America with her family, uh, fifteen uh, when she was fifteen, she uh, tells me stuff about Britain that it, it's absolutely incredible. I definitely want to go someday. So. Oh, you have to. You have to. You have to go to Westminster, Westminster Abbey. Oh my God, I love that place. Did you go see all the statuary and everything? Oh my God, I just I went nuts over the history of the statuary. Of, oh God, I mean, you're, you're walking along, you're walking over where Charles Dickens was buried. It's just like, yeah. oh my goodness, and all the big figures of history, you know. I mean, Mary Queen of Scots, all of them are buried in there. It's just, yeah. it's just, oh God, I love that place. That's incredible. That's incredible. And Laurence Olivier is also, also there, who uh, Jim spent time, yeah. you know, expressing his appreciation. It was very surreal, really wonderful. So Vicky yeah, may not I mean, be the only one visiting you, Keith. I may be dropping in on you and torturing you for a little. That's fine. I'll try not to get, get you kicked out of Westminster Abbey. I got kicked out of there a couple of times. Or I got kicked years. out of there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost got kicked out of there because I kept touching everything. Just like, you oh, can't no. help it. Just like, yeah, they get really upset if you take pictures, but you have to like that, do it yeah, on the no sly. Hurry up, hurry up. No flash and you can get away with it. <laughs> they did that to us, the yeah. Tower of London, too. They're saying, don't touch. Beef eaters were going, Americans. <laughs> you know, they touch everything. <laughs> like, you know, but I love history, you know? Yeah. Well, it certainly well, is prevalent there. That's actually, uh, you said that because recently um, we had gone on our anniversary and a trip up the coast to San Francisco and then on to where O'Neill's home was. And of course, you know, you know, we were able again because of COVID, got to go in there just the two of us, right. and uh, not yeah. supposed to touch anything. And then, as the guy's not looking, he says, "I've got to touch O'Neill's desk." I got to yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to say, by the way, for the new Dark Shadows, of course, the old, you know, the old timers in the Dark Shadows fandom know uh, Jim Storm's contribution to Dark Shadows, but we have new people here. And uh, Jim uh, is famous for his role as Gerard Stiles 
uh, the the famous sneer that yeah. I don't embarrass him, uh, but uh, that was his that was his claim to fame uh, among the among, uh, <laughs> what what were you saying? What? Claim to fame is my sneer. <laughs> well, that was that was your claim oh, to fame. Aside from the fact, if you let me finish, because uh, I got to get my foot out of my mouth now, that you were a gr- that your acting performance was absolutely fantastic, and, and it's true, it's true, and it really uh, it really added, and the and the fans obviously are going to see him later uh, in a in a, a little while. We got a little while to get uh, to, before we get to his. Uh, yeah, we'll get there soon enough. But the fact of the matter is, it's worth waiting for. Well, that's uh, it, it, well, it's the truth. No, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it otherwise. Um, I do want to say while Jim is on here, and Jim and Valerie are on here, and Valerie, by the way, is a fan of Dark Shadows. Absolutely. Uh, who watched it in high school, and uh, she uh, wound up marrying. Uh, this is a very interesting marriage: a Dark Shadows star and a Dark Shadows fan. Uh, and I, and I think that's, uh, I think that's great. I think it's a great, uh, a great tribute, but I, but while they're on here, uh, Keith, it's all right with you. I want to mention, we suffered the passing of, uh, one of the great dark shadows actresses, Diana Malay, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. May she rest in peace. And Jim and Valerie were kind enough to announce, uh, the, make the announcement to the fandom at large and uh and thank you for that guys uh you know she was uh she was something else um and diana Malay, she was one of my favorite on um, storylines the yeah, Laura collins phoenix storyline is one of my favorite storylines so and, it was a good storyline it really was and i don't want to give away too much on, on on our podcast we don't like to talk too much about the future of uh shadows before it happens because there's so much but uh the laura character will be coming back and that's all i'm going to say about it uh and we'll be able to relive that once again uh at a later point in time just and not I, successfully absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're at it um we suffered a loss in the fandom that i wanted to mention paul Sousa, uh who passed away on christmas eve uh, which happened to be my birthday. And uh, Paul and I were good friends. Uh, he actually he actually took me on as a moderator uh, in his forum, one of the, the first the first job I ever had in Facebook in Dark Shadows. And uh, he was a great guy. Uh, and I never really knew how much he was loved in the fandom. A lot of people. A lot of people were very, very shocked uh, to hear about it. I had spoken to him only a couple of days before he passed and uh, wished him happy holiday and stuff like that. And uh, we had been talking about various things. And so so suffice it to say, I just wanted to get that out of the way. But uh, once again, thanks to Jim and Valerie for letting us know about uh, she was 85. uh, She had a long life and she will be missed. And Tom, I just wanted to say something really quickly because sure. since we spoke uh, last, we had just lost Cy Thomas off. And not too oh. long ago, we have also lost, unfortunately, a dear friend of Jim and ours, um, um, John Carlin. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. 
we spent yes, a lot of time with in his last days and, and we really miss him. He was a fantastic person. We were fortunate to spend some time with him before that and to see him in the hospital and stuff like that. <laughs> and also Bob Corbett, who did the, the but, um, music. Right. So it's been a really kind of a sad you know, last year and a half. It's tough here. Family. Yeah. It's tough here. We interviewed Adam Carlin, uh, his John's son. Uh, he's a great guy, and uh, he was very kind enough. We were, we were actually going to be interviewing John, uh, and unfortunately, things took a turn for the worse before we were actually able to do that. But um, I, I have very fond memories of John Carlin from the Dark Shadows Convention. Yeah. Of course, John came from Brooklyn, my hometown, and uh, so he and I had a lot to. He and I had some stuff to talk about. And, uh, and and thank you uh, for, you know, for remembering that uh, we're, you know, we, it, the, the fact that the re- real life creeps up on the, on the fantasy world. And you think that the characters are going to live forever. And then you get a nice kick in the face when, you know, or a kick in the teeth, so to speak, when that happens. But um, so th- that's, that's all I want to say about that. And um, thank you, Keith, for letting me. Uh, run my mouth um go ahead but anyway uh go ahead guys go ahead how about you vix what do you want to say i can't top any of that okay um what do i want to say what have we been up to is that where we started yes what are we okay not a whole lot all i know is that bmx started again in my Grandson's getting a new bike. Can't wait to put it together. <laughs> How, old How old is he? Eight. Aww. Yeah. So. <laughs> I live, I'm kind of like a full-time grandma. I'm really enjoying the job. That's but uh, now not a whole lot, really. It's been really quiet since Christmas. Just yeah. doing doing what we do. Lots of reading, watching, watching some movies. Um, Doing a couple book reviews people sent me, and I really got to write those. We have to come by when we get through Texas. We'll come by and visit. I'm gonna get, hold you guys to that. No, we will. <laughs> we'll have to go like go to um, like a uh, like Cowtown or something, and go to Fort Worth and go to a regular bar. They throw peanuts and everything on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I just got a magazine about Texas, a, a cowboy and Indian magazine. There's this article I haven't seen. I just skimmed through it about the stockyards in, in, yeah. in Fort Worth and how it's, and they're, they're, they're building it up again and new hotels, mm-hmm. and, and, but they're keeping the tradition of it, which is yeah, an incredible yeah. place. I, I had an incident back in the early 70s in, in Houston, and I swore I would never go to Texas again, which I didn't. <laughs> I met Valerie. And my well, I know we talked about it before, but you're going to have to refresh my memory now. Well, it did, it's not worth really going. You know, it no, it's a great story. I think you should tell I it. I think it was. I forgot. I know he told me, and I can't remember now. It's going to drive me nuts. I was in a, a road show. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, a bus and truck tour, which they, you know, they don't do those anymore. But this was a one-night stand uh, from New York to California, and then from some points in uh, in Canada down to Texas. And we went, it was a four and a half month. It should have been six months, but they went broke and we closed everything down. Thank God. But at one point I had just come off the wrong airplane and, and I ended up in 
uh, in New Orleans. So I jumped on another plane. I was, I was supposed to do a show in, in Houston. So I arrived in Houston about two o'clock in the morning at the Frontier Hotel. And uh, I, I got to the room and the bed had not been made and there were roaches running around. Oh, God. Oh, God. I believe that I, I there's like, something. I was, I was a little bit, you know. Houston. Did you say Houston? So I, Texas. I, I did the show and everything. And I went to the desk afterwards and I said, listen, um, I, I had to make my own bed and I had to, and da, 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 da. And I complained and the guy said, well, that's too bad. Uh, you know, this maybe some astronomical uh, fee of uh, probably 12 bucks a night or something. (laughs) um, I said, well, that's really, that's just terrific. That's real Texas hospital. I was a little pissed off. So so this Texas hospitality, if I've ever seen it, and I had hair down to my shoulders at a time when you didn't have hair down to your shoulders, especially (laughs) in Texas. And yeah. this man came up and he started, you know, jawing at me and telling me, you know, if I didn't cut my hair, you know, I, and he was really offensive and told me to just, you know, get out of, get out of town. And I told him, I said, well, why don't you just mind your own business? And as I turned to talk to the, the desk man, he hauled off and clobbered me. Wow. So I went after him and he pulled out a pen knife, right? This little... <laughs> brownie pen knife. I said, "Oh man, that terrifies me. That really, <laughs> you son of a bitch." And I went out, went out, down, out, and through the archway into a, a restaurant, an adjoining diner. And I came after him, and I came around the corner, and he was behind the cash register, and he pulled out behind the cash register. Two actors were standing there in front of him. And he had a paper bag and he pulled out the biggest gun I have ever seen in my life. And he pointed it right at me. He was a retired deputy sheriff is what he was. His little scrawny. Sounds like a peacemaker. No, it was, it was bigger than Texas. Yeah. And he said, you take one more step, I'm going to blow your head off. Well, I kind of believed him, you know. <laughs> So I backed up and I got in the bus and next thing we knew we had the cops there and the cops said, I think it's time for you all to get in the bus and get out of, out of Houston. And, <laughs> we did. and uh, that was it. And I swore, I, I, and I drove across the country many times and would always avoid Texas. I, and, I, I, I avoid Houston, nothing against Houston, but, but I, I, you know, I mean, it, I, it became, you know, my sister was a teacher down in Houston. She kept saying, you got to come visit us. And I have never said sit in that state again, but <laughs> now I, I, you know, I spent time in Pecos and uh, you haven't lived till you've been in Pecos. Um, and I just, I, there's just something really, really cool about Texas. I want to get to the Big Bend area. and Oh, it's and, beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, I drove through it, but I'd like to spend time there. I'd like to get down. I love El Paso. I really love El Paso. And I'd like to get down around the Gulf Stream and, and you know, and where Valerie's from. We we went down there. and uh, I, Port Lavaca, Texas, shout out. Port Lavaca. Port Lavaca, not far yeah. away. Yes, yeah, cool. It well, actually, great, is kind of far time. away. In Victoria. People don't good. understand that Texas is like, they go, well, why don't you go to the coast and stuff? And I go, well, the coast is like six hours away. Oh, yeah, exactly. you know? Bet. It's not like California. You know, jump in the car and go. Yeah. No. Exactly. But anyway, I really enjoyed it. I really had a great time. And I've been back several times since. And I'm going to go again. 
And, Good uh, deal. You got my phone number, y'all. <laughs> if you ever come down to Florida, if you ever come down to around Boca Raton, uh, Del Rey, please, uh, please feel free to stop in. We got a lot of. Oh, I would. I, 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 I was down in Miami. Uh, I, it's the only time I'd ever been there. I was at the, the airport in Florida. No, New Orleans. Same thing. Anyway, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see it. I'd like to. It's a beautiful country. This country we have. Yes, it is. One of the joys of going around and hitting the back roads, not the freeways, but the back roads. Mm -hmm. uh, It's just a photographic uh, epic. It's just, I mean, there's so much to see and experience. And uh, you learn a lot. And it's, you know, different cultures. And it's amazing. I never thought I'd spend time in Nebraska. My God, what a beautiful place. I can imagine. So many beautiful places to see in our country. A lot of people don't realize, you know. Yeah. I have to sit there and say driving from Denver to to Kansas City is probably the most boring drive you ever want to go on. Flat as a piece of paper. (laughs) Just like it never stopped. And I got to I know will it ever stop. It's It's like when you get through coming out of Oregon. (laughs) Oh, it's just it's just as flat as it could be, and once in a while you'll see a bush. It's just yeah. terrible. <laughs> and the road and the roads are even straight. The roads don't curve or anything like that. Oh, so when you're driving by the by the end of like four hours, you're like, I'm yeah, gonna fall asleep. Then if there's a tornado, there's absolutely nowhere to go. No, you, you would welcome a tornado. Just kept into a cellar. Boredom of it. My God. A little bit of excitement. That's <laughs> emptiness. Actually, the very, very first trip we took was real exciting. We the, the first time we went anywhere together was to Standing Rock during the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. So that's where we learned you know, that yes, we can get along. We live together. We drive well together. We stay together twenty four seven. Well, and it was uh, yeah. the beginning. Sit in a car below. together. Dirty <laughs> below. Oof. Yeah. yeah, I've gone cross country in, in a small car before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What about yeah. you, Keith? What have I been up to? Um, at the moment, I'm setting up um, a special podcast episode to deal with a person named Millicent Patrick. Uh, people don't know who Millicent Patrick is, is that she created the creature from the Black Lagoon, the monster. Oh. And because she was female in Hollywood at the time, um, she was ostracized and they yeah. took her name off everything because the guy who was in charge of the art department of the studio, Universal at the time, didn't like that she was getting all this attention. So they eradicated her from all the annals of film history. Yeah, terrible. Um, what's quite interesting about her as well is that her father built um, Randolph Hearst's um, mansion in California. Oh, we just were there. <laughs> Yeah, he was no, the contractor no, for that. No, what, 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 tell me what you're doing. Uh, is this a book or what? No, we're doing a special podcast episode for Easter to help celebrate. Um, and that's going to be part of our help celebrate Women's Month, which is going to be in end of March, beginning of April. How old was she when and she passed away? She's st- she. I think she's still with us. Yeah. Got to um, be. Kidding. Yeah, her. Um, her, she's got a really interesting life. Her parents came from Italy, but he faked it and said that he was American born and um, went to San Francisco. A lot of the buildings that you see in San Francisco, he um, he contracted. He contracted the the biggest dam in North America and Mexico. He was part of that. So it's quite an interesting story. But the woman who um, is a 
um, who wrote the book is also a producer and director of horror films. So she's coming on and we're going to do a special Creature of the Black Lagoon episode. So we're starting to put that together. So yeah, so finding a bit more about her and the book that the book will be released um, next month. And it's quite a really interesting book about her life. What's what's the lady's name again? Millicent Patrick. Millicent Patrick. Okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. One of the the creature of the Black Lagoon when it first came out, uh, along with the Blob. Yeah. uh, My brother had nightmares for days. (laughs) We shared the bedroom together. It was, uh, of course, I wasn't permitted to see it, but he went and snuck in and saw it and said the most terrifying thing he'd seen. Maybe he's twelve years old or something like that, but. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great, it's it's an iconic piece of work. Yeah. Well, Creature from the Lagoon is it's one. All, it's always been one of my favorite Universal monster movies for some reason. I don't it's know fun. why. It's just good clean. And um, I remember here in England, um, we had a thing called Secret Cinema. And what the Secret Cinema does is they'll show a movie, but what they'll do is they'll take a part and change it all into the film sets and stuff like this. So you walk in, so it's a whole experience. And they did the whole Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. So we got to see the whole thing in 3D. And they had like fish fish coming out of, they had like, they had like a um, great big, they built a great big um, pond for um, the creature to come out. And you walked around and it was all done like a South American um, rainforest. That's, uh, it was like, but they, I mean, they do it. Great. I mean, it's like 25 acres of a South American <laughs> that, that you had to walk through. Was uh, wow, what an experience! Here's some trivia for you. When, when, when will this be done? When will you? Um, we're gonna, um, hopefully, we're getting it together now, and um, we'll be airing our episode of Easter Sunday. Great, so. good for you. So I'm putting that together at the moment, so that's Here's quite a, interesting. That's a big, that's a big, big yeah. uh, enterprise. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Trivia for you that Julie Adams, who was the female lead in Creature from the Black Lagoon, went on uh, in General Hospital in the 60s. She was one of the soap stars. Really? Wow. Yes, yes. In General Hospital, late 60s, early 70s. She was a looker. Oh, yes, she was. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was part of actually a trilogy of movies. The Creature Walks Among Us was the third one, yeah. I think. Uh, or the second one, I forget the. And one. the last one, they did the they did the Planet of the Apes thing that you know when the Planet of the Apes is like the makeup of the first one's really good, but by the time they get to like the fourth, the makeup they would just put masks on them. <laughs> like it kind of got a bit like that. I think it was right. like he was like half man, half gill man or something, wasn't he? So it was like they put like a, like a fin on his face or something. <laughs> They were trying to make Mark, him into a human moving. being or something. Well, that's back when Hollywood's used to, um, when they did sequels, they used to, you know, the, the movie, they spent a lot of money on the main one and then they'd yeah. get cheaper as they went down. It's not like yeah. now, what they do is they spend more money on the sequels than they did on the original. Sure. And they're so, still never as good. Never, no. I mean, what's a while to be something. Jim was in one of the episodes of Planet of the Apes. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's I had that on, I had that on DVD. Planet of the Apes is my all-time favorite franchise. Well, it was, it was, I, I, I got a call to, I was a, I played a young fisherman or some, some, I don't remember the story, but I remember driving down to Palos Verdes at four o'clock in the morning and the sun's coming up and I'm, I'm up on this bluff overlooking the cove. And there were about 400 extras all dressed in, in, in eight costumes. costumes. And, 
<laughs> all of them were having breakfast through a straw. It would have been a great <laughs> photograph. I mean, there were hundreds of them, and they were all just kind of you know good. But I I had the privilege of working with Roddy McDowell, who uh, I just adored. I loved him. He was great guy. Uh, you know, he was. Uh, I I don't know if you can ever you know the classier man you have never known. He I was, bet he was just. You know, he remembers your name. He welcomes you to the set every day. He was, wasn't just in passing, but he wanted to know how you were doing. And Roscoe Lee Brown was the other one. And they always were very, very pleasant to everybody. They were just, they they loved what they did. And uh, yeah. McDowell was, in, in, uh, was a wonderful photographer, you know. And, yeah, I mean... His photography, I mean, I mean, it's now going into the like the annals of like history now because he captures some like avant-garde moments of some classic Hollywood actors that are never going to be seen again, sort of yeah. thing. And yeah, so he, I've seen some of his photography. I, I had a, 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 a copy of Lawrence Olivier's Othello, which, in my humble opinion, is probably one of the finest performances of a white man playing this fellow. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to meet, know the director. I worked with the director who, you know, and of course I asked, I kept, you know, driving John crazy because I kept asking questions about my favorite actor and how he prepared for all of this stuff. But anyway, to go back to the, uh, there's an album, uh, I think the London uh, label had produced an album of, uh, of, the uh, recordings of, of Othello with Olivier and, and Frank Finlay and Maggie Smith. And the, fo- uh, the photographs are McDowell's photographs in the leaf the, of the production because he photographed the production. The, 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 which, so, and they're beautiful. They're just, you know, so he, he was really, I'm sorry I didn't, if, if I'd known that he was such a photographer, I would have really taken a, you know, I would have jumped on it because I, I just love photography and people that do it. I just, you know, admire. Well, what I read about Roddy, I mean, he, he, he kind of hid his light underneath a bushel most of the time, though, was the need from what from my understanding of him. So he's not yeah. the kind of person that would, you know, kind of had to know something. Right? If you wanted to know something about it, you kind of had to know it beforehand because he never would volunteer information. Oh, absolutely. About yeah. Very yeah. private. Very yeah. private. However, he did have, as they said, you know, if if you want to know anything about Hollywood, you talk to him. I mean, oh, I bet the, the dirt, the and he would never, ever talk in any kind of derogatory way about anybody, and he had the goods on it. Uh, he was, the, I mean, he was friends with all the people who were doing the dirty. So, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, all the people, all the people that were involved in scandal, he was friends with. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he, he, he was a class act, you know, he was a yeah. class I had an agent who had, uh, represented, uh, was one of the first to represent Cary Grant. And when Cary Grant passed away, uh, you know, they, they every creep in town tried to get the goods on him and everything they called all the time 85 and he said you know well, no and and the same with grant he would never divulge anything he was very very respectful of other people no matter if he liked them or not he never you know unlike today 
I mean, I'd sit there and say one thing about Roddy McDowell is that even if it's a bad movie, and sometimes he was in bad movies, right. he's still shining through them all. Yes, he's yeah. like Vin, he, he was like Vincent Price, always shined yeah. above whatever material they were given. Absolutely. And there was another one that was a wonderful actor. Wonderful actor. And you forget where he came out of the Mercury Theater and what he, you know, he was a real spearhead in American theater. Yes. Quite a, quite a cultured guy. Really, yeah. Yeah. We're having a conversation recently, me and a friend of mine, we're saying that what Hollywood lacks nowadays is really good character actors. Yeah, and he really it really misses the old fashioned character actors, whether it's Agnes Moorhead or mm-hmm. Henry Ford or so on and so forth. They really don't have that anymore. So what you now have is you just have movie stars playing movie stars and acting parts. You know what I mean? And, and the movies, I think that's why some sometimes the movies kind of suffer a little bit because you do need those quirky character actors who kind of come in and just brighten everything up. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, the studios had a lot to do with that because, first of all, they kept, you know, throwing those films out there and, and getting people working, you know, but now it's so, it's become such a mechanized commercial, you know, you just don't have those, the, that luxury of, of watching Lionel Barrymore, you know, or those. Or Herman Gingold. Uh, <laughs> Hermione. Hermione Gingold. Hermione. Hermione. I haven't thought of in a while. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, just so they're they're wonderful uh great old actors you know and we yeah. don't of course the industry's changed so radically i mean it's just it's yeah i mean now you know i we do auditions mm-hmm. with the cell phone mm-hmm. there's oh, no okay. communication with anybody there's no talking to anybody there's no knowing anybody you know mm-hmm. and why why don't they just take a fic- picture and say, "Yeah, this looks like something we would use"? And it's so impersonal. Oh, yeah. it's 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 just really, de- it's very depressing. It really I is. Just, One of the joys yeah. was auditioning for people and casting people, and you know, you you get mm-hmm. to know them. They get to know you, and sometimes it's it's really positive, and other times it's not. But at least it's communication. Yeah, you know, human interaction. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's just that for an industry that, you know, is supposed to be, you know, you know communication is what we do, uh, you know, yeah. to put up the wall and not allow it to take place. And But that's uh, social media, you know, that's yeah. what MTV has done. So. Yeah. I mean, that's I think that's one of the reasons why I tend to watch a lot of um, Netflix shows, a lot of you know, European films at the moment i'm not sure about they do in america but here they do so i watch a lot of spanish and what's a lot of spanish films and what's so fantastic is like you know whether it's um carmen mara who did the old pedro films back in the 80s you know women on the verge and she's still acting and what i love seeing about these old spanish actors is that they've aged so they look the right age so you don't, so you got so it's like if they're paying at 60 oh they look 60 you know what i mean they look yeah. they, they look yeah. seasoned where you watch an american film and you got someone who's so botox it's like you know they're, they're, they're like 80 <laughs> they're like 40 and they're mima it's just kind of odd. <laughs> looks 18 years old, oh, and she's got to be 60 years old. I mean, it's yeah. just you, you, and, yeah. you know, it, it's that narcissistic quality that really gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, I think that you mentioned the foreign films, uh, Keith. You know, it's I was trying to go back to the the French. Uh, oh God, what's the, the genre? The, the Godard and and Truffaut and all. Oh uh, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to get a collection of it. I can't find them. 
I can't. Oh, they're, they're, you can find them on, um, are, are you, you looking for what, DVD or Blu-ray? Well, I, I'm thinking like Netflix and uh, those kind of organizations. You know. Oh, okay. You can, buy, you can buy them. Criterionism actually released all of them on um, okay. a special Okay, well, then Blu-ray. I know somewhere to go because I, With- I was really depressed that I couldn't. I wanted to go on a Fellini kick and I couldn't mm-hmm. find any Fellini. Yeah. Yeah. Go so. into Amazon and look up um, Criterion and then put in Fellini. And they, they got like, and Criterion is a company that's taken these old, um, fantastic films and they're and they remastered them oh, and, and okay. then and they got interviews but they have interviews with film historians and sometimes oh, and then what they'll do is they'll find old footage of um interviews like fellini and stuff like this and they put Wonderful. it in a package and fantastic okay great thank you I'll, I'll yeah because yeah. i mean i've got a couple of french films like um you know, Lassage de Sa, you know, Eyes Without a Face. I got that. Um, I love that um, movie. We did that, that movie. Yeah. Lay Down Obliques as well. They've done a really that's fantastic a very, one of yeah, that as well. One, yeah. um, but Criterion, look for the Criterion collection. I'll, You'll I'll, find look some it, I'll get on yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with the industry. I mean, now that this COVID thing is, the COVID thing is, you know, hitting its mark. I don't know. I don't know. We'll just wait around and see. One thing I could sit there and say about COVID, because there is there has been some positives that come out of COVID, and one, most of them is is that we have a younger generation who pretty much seen everything that's modern, and now they're starting to reflect back on older stuff. Because I and I guess the problem that we have today is is that um, when we were growing up, we pretty much had three or four channels yeah. if you're lucky, and pretty much you watch whatever was on. So you, you know, and and one cinema in town. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also, but, but, you know, the thing is people, you know, you went to the cinema to see something new, but as far as like staying home, you, you were turned on to a lot of older films, you know, yeah. like monster movie, whether it's monster movie matinee or um, gone with the wind or so you're growing up in your, in your world is so far open to past, present and, and everything around. Yeah. But yeah. nowadays it's like every, you know, if you look at anything that's being shown on television, it's all within the last five to six years that's been made and if you were looking for something old you actually have to search for it you have to actually search for it but i've noticed that netflix now is starting to hear they're starting to bleed through a lot of the older stuff now and there's a lot of older films starting to pop up on our netflix in this country so obviously they're running out of new material because of covid that they have to like fill it up and they're starting to go through back catalog ifc's doing the same thing amazon prime netflix i've noticed a lot and the one thing nothing that's good about covid but you know we have uh, another uh guest uh co-host joe rondonzo that comes on and he's turned me on to all these cool independent films I discovered independent film and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. It's I could cool. not be happier. Yeah. It's refreshing. So well, over here they've now um on our Netflix has just started the two Fritz Lang films starring Joe Bennett, Scarlet Street and the <laughs> Woman in the Air. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you know, I don't fun. Yeah. And I'm sure that pre um pre-COVID, you probably they probably would never even appear on their scheduling, but now there's like all these Fritz Lang films. I've noticed that. You're right. I didn't even think of that too soon. Speaking of it, with Keith, we're talking about films and stuff. Can we plug a couple films right quick? Yeah, please do. Because we have uh, friends of ours have made uh, films that are just fabulous so that people should know about them. Oh, yeah. Uh, One has been Mm -hmm. done by Greg and Jack Littman, and it's called Rumble Strip, and it's a 
fabulous kind of noir film that people should definitely try to see. And I think it's also available on these uh, services online. And also Ansel Farah, who's a big Dark Shadows fan, has done Loon Lake. And that also features David Selby and Catherine Lee Scott. So these Very are cool. fabulous films or, you know, more independent films that people who are looking for things to think should, should really check them out. We also have um, friends of ours, uh, Dylan and Vanessa Reynolds, who um, have made their own independent films that Jim has been in. And the last one was 420 Massacre. I also- still have yet to finish <laughs> watching that. I, for some reason, it disappeared off of uh, wherever my watch list was. And I yeah. have to go back yeah. in there. So talking about independent film, the, this, uh, uh, the Lippman uh, father and son team that did this uh, epic. Um, I mean, they, they, you know, they put this, it took them three years to put it together and it's with scotch tape. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's very, very, it's beautifully shot and very well. And, but they did it all. They wrote it, they produced it, they directed it. They cut it. Jack played the music for it. Uh, he's the star of the film. Uh, and it's a, it's a labor of love. And, you know, I, I can't say enough about what it went in, because we all know what trying to get a film off the ground and done is, is you know, it's a 10-year venture, you know, if you go through the studio or any of those, you know, commercial profits but then for these people that just i mean every dime they had they just put yeah. into the you know to do it and i we we've seen it what twice now oh yeah it's a, again it's a it's a fabulous film called rumble strip and um just won a last yeah, summer if you have, get a big vegas movie award uh so it's really worth seeing yeah so. it's it's wonderful it's it's rough it's a it's a rough film but it, it's the you can see uh, you know what what they're doing with it. What and Jack wrote it. I mean, it's just wonderful. And I'm hoping that somebody. I mean, somebody's already picked it up and done a nice thing for them. But Good. I'm hoping that they'll they'll get financing for the next film and start producing it. But I agree with you. That- I know Loon Lake's available on Amazon Prime at the moment, so I know it's yes. available there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I actually watched it on that a couple of months yeah. ago. So We actually got to see it with David Selby and Christopher Fennick, so that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we had we interviewed Ansel. Um, yes, we did. Well, we did, did um, oh, good. Yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah, we interviewed did. him back when we first started doing Dark Shadows, when we first That's started right. that. That's right. He's an interesting yeah. kid. Yeah, he's... Not a kid, but he is in my book. <laughs> <laughs> he's a kid. You're a kid. I mean, he's one of those that pretty much does everything on his own as well, which is very... Sure. Yeah. That's a very interesting story. I mean, literally, he self-taught, which you don't find too often. Well, and he was the mastermind behind the um, the Dark Shadows YouTube Um Yes, he worked for Christmas. Catherine and, and things. Yeah, the Halloween yeah. thing. The Halloween yeah. thing. Oh, it was Halloween sort of thing. So mm-hmm. sorry. My time frames are like all over the place. <laughs> 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 well, what we're going to do is I'm going to, um, it was nice talking to you. What we'll do is we'll let you go so you can go back onto your daily life. But we want to thank you a lot for joining us. It was so much fun. And what, you had something you'd like to add? I just, we'd like to say one thing before we leave. We yes, want us to everyone to have a very, very happy Valentine's Day. And I also want to say, 
It's never too late to live happily ever after. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, and yeah, want to thank you again, and thank you so much for joining us for the Dark Shadows Wonderful. podcast. Thank you for. Yeah, it was so nice <laughs> seeing you again. Absolutely enjoyable as always. So, thank, thank you. you so much, and we'll see you in thank England, and we'll see you in Texas. I hope so. Yeah, see you soon, and Florida, and, and Florida please. Yes, we'll yes. be there. We'll be there. Please, when you come to Texas, let me know. I'll we will definitely. definitely. Okay, Just guys. Just a healthy year. I hope you it's all. A pleasure. Thank you so much, and. Uh, we look forward to the, the next encounter. And enjoy yeah. very much so. <laughs> Bye. Thank you Bye. so much. Hi, everybody. Tom Diamond here for Literary License Podcast. And we're here to talk about episodes 461 through 482 of Dark Shadows. So, with the stars, we have some old actors in new roles, as well as a couple of new actors. But most of them are old actors in new roles. I'm going to go through them very quickly. In episode 461, the character of Phyllis Wick, who previously was played by Dari Kavanaugh, is now played by actress Margot Head. Margot Head was an understudy in Half a Sixpence on Broadway, as well as playing a small part in the 1970s Georgie. Roger Davis returns as Peter Bradford for a couple of episodes, but then settles into his new role as Jeff Clark, the reincarnation of Peter Bradford. And of course, he doesn't know that, and Vicky always suspects that he is, but in most of the episode blocks here, uh, we explore the relationship between the two. In episode 461, the reprise of Vicky's hanging occurs. And so, the same actors, Timothy Gordon's Spectator, Howard Honig was the goaler, James Shannon was the hangman, Paul Caffrey and Scott Upright were the spectators. And all in all, 13 actors are in this episode. Uh, usually they're between four and six, as you would probably, you know, as you would probably guess if you look at these closely. In episode 462, we have Timothy Gordon returning as the ghost of Jeremiah to warn Vicky, and Addison Powell is the voiceover of Jeremiah's ghost. Addison Powell, as you recall, was Judge Madigan in one episode in the 1795 block. He did portray the voiceover of Jeremiah's ghost in a few of them. He continues this for the last time, because after this, Addison Powell will have a recurrent role as Dr. Eric Lang, really the replacement of Dr. Julia Hoffman in the development of a Frankenstein plot. Uh, where a monster is created by Dr. Lang in terms of uh, transferring Barnabas's life force into this monster in order to cure Barnabas of his vampirism. And Dr. Eric Lang uh, is in most of the episodes in this block, 466 through 472, then 475 through 479 and actually 475 through 482 so he's in a lot of episodes here Jerry Lacey returns as Tony Peterson now in episodes 463, 477 and 481 Lyra Parker uh, returns as Angelique she gives a voiceover laugh in episode 477 
And then later on, she's going to return as Cassandra Blair Collins, the wife of Roger Collins. Blair is her middle name. There's a good reason for her mentioning that in one of the episodes in this block where she goes to see Dr. Lang to try and kill him and introduces herself as Cassandra Blair. And you'll see more about that in a later block. Thayer David now returns as Professor Timothy Stokes. And uh, this is the descendant of Ben Stokes. Uh, He's also called Elliot Stokes. He's given another name. And we'll find out why much later on. But for now, he's Professor Timothy Stokes. And he's really called Professor Stokes in episodes 470, 464, 472, and 475. Joe Crothers returns for one episode in this block in the dual role as Joe Haskell in episode 465 and the ghost of Nathan Forbes in the dream sequence with uh, Vicky. Roger Davis is in that same dream sequence as Peter Bradford. And and also as Jeff Clark in uh, making his first appearance in that episode, and going on to become Jeff Clark in episodes 466 to 471, then 476, 478, 479, and 482. Peter Murphy's been around uh, for a while, and in this episode of 465, uh, he's portrayed all the extras, and he was really a stand-in for Fred. Here he's he's the gowler, uh, and James Shannon is the hangman in the staged hanging of Peter Bradford uh, during this dream. And... In episode 476, Peter Murphy will be going on to portray a grave digger. You're not going to see him that much longer. It's one of his last appearances. Now, the nurse in the hospital room in episode 466 is portrayed by none other than Catherine Balfour. And Catherine Balfour's claim to fame was as the mother of Ryan O'Neill in Love Story, a very, very famous movie in 1970 where Ray Milan played the father. But Catherine Balfour has a lot of movie credits, Twelve Angry Men, Adventures, Trial of John Peter Zenger, Wuthering Heights with Charlton Heston, America, America, the Defenders movie in the 1960s with William Shatner, and Flash of Green. Craig Slocum appears in one episode. Craig Slocum was Noah Gifford in the 1795 block. Here he returns as Harry Johnson, Mrs. Johnson's son. And Clarice Blackburn returns for one episode as Mrs. Johnson. Lyra Parker, as we said, returned as Cassandra Collins, wife of Roger Collins. And she's in 473, 474, 77, 480, and 481. The monster in the Frankenstein developing plot is played by Dwayne Morris. And, uh, and that's in episodes 476, 8, 9, 80, and 82. He does not portray the monster when the monster is revived, as portrayed by a different actor who made his mark on Dark Shadows, and we're going to get to him when we get to this block. Finally, Catherine Lee Scott appears as Maggie Evans in two episodes, in 478 and 482. We now get to the bloopers of Dark Shadows, and there are a substantial number of them. So rather than go through all the uh, bloopers with the mic booms, which you can see coming down from the ceiling, and the shadows falling on everybody, we're going to go through a select number of bloopers uh, 
in this show, in this particular block, which are of more interest. 461, that's the first episode that we're covering, and in the very first scene, when everyone is suspended in time and not supposed to move, they're in the time warp, uh, Louis Edmonds as Roger is seen to pull his jacket sleeve down over his shirt, uh, probably one of the shirt sleeve, I should say, one of the most famous bloopers. And, of, and also during this time, Margot Head, who played Phyllis Wick, blinks a few times. We are fascinated by the fact that they really are wearing different clothes in the seance scene in episode 461. Uh, They're in different positions, Uh, at least some of them are in different positions as compared to the seance scene in the last, uh, in, in the couple of blocks ago, or I should say where they actually went into the past. So everybody's in this, in different positions and in different clothes. Uh, and the other thing about episode 461 is that you have an elongated exposition a narrative by Nancy Barrett to explain what's going on. And what she essentially says is that during one tick of a clock in 1968, months have passed in 1795. Well, there are two things here, one of which is this is the only episode where you actually have an elongated exposition which starts in the beginning of the show, the way you usually expect for 30 seconds. But then she continues to narrate her voiceover into the first scene. And they actually went into 1795 in November of 1967. And they came back four months later in April of 1968. So in reality, they should have been in 1967 when they went back. But... The writers decided to update it by a year uh, to help the fans out. Okay, so when... Now also, uh, when you have the gallows scene where Vicky's being hung, somebody steals across the bottom of the scene, uh, and we did see that, by the way, in episode 460, because this is basically a repeat of the, of the same scene. Okay, um, and... Now, in episode 462, you're going to see Julia's new hairstyle after the first scene. Julia, uh, Grayson Hall was wearing a wig all this time because Dan Curtis essentially wanted her to look more like a uh, very hard-nosed physician. And so he didn't want her to look as attractive. But the, the new hairstyle that you're seeing on Dark Shadows... <laughs> is really the hairstyle that Grayson Hall was wearing all along. This was her actual haircut, and so basically she was able to get away without wearing the wig. Also in episode 462, you see Vicky running across the set as Jeremiah's hand comes out of the grave. And one of the things that you should uh, realize as... Uh, Barnabas is talking with the rest of the cast about uh, the fact that Vicky basically replaced Phyllis Wick in uh, because Phyllis, Phyllis Wick was, orig- was the original governess, and Vicky took her place, and so Vicky and so Vicky was the one that was supposedly going to be hanged instead of Phyllis Wick. But then you wonder about the fact that the book 
that Vicky brought back with her. Well, if the original timeline had Phyllis Wick involved, how could Phyllis Wick have brought the book of the Collins family history back, which played such an important role in how all that turned out? And also, think of what happened to the original reason for the seance being held in 1795, which was to prove that David was telling the truth about Barnabas and that Sarah Collins was called. Well, all that was forgotten about. Uh, so that's uh, so that so that these are something to consider. It's symptomatic of a lot of plot uh, devices that were kind of left in limbo or forgotten about by the writers, and we're not supposed to remember them. And and in fact, the fans didn't remember them because they were so enjoy they were so happy about what was going on. It's only as you look back that you can see things like that. Um, also, Vicky never mentions Peter, Peter Bradford's last name to Julia, but she knows about it. So how does she know about it? These are the kind of, these are the kinds of things that you really pick up. In episode 463, there's a cough, uh, as, uh, they go through the graveyard. Peter Bradford's, Peter Bradford's grave is very, very interesting here. His date of death is on the grave is April 3rd, 1975. But, once again, if Vicky arrived in 1795, Brad, in November of 1795, Peter Bradford should have died in 1796. Now, what you are going to see much later on, and I'm giving something away here, uh, is that in a future episode of Dark Shadows, and we're not going to say which number it is, somebody actually took a magic marker and fixed the gravestone with the magic marker, so the correct date of 1796, they wrote a 6 over the 5. Uh, that is, that's, that's quite funny. Further, in episode 463, Julia calls Liz Miss Hoffman uh, after she's known for a few episodes that Julia is now a doctor. Julia reveals herself as a doctor immediately in episode 461. And Liz will say also, I wish I hadn't let you buy this portrait. It goes so well in the house. This is an example of a number of non sequiturs that occur during the during the show. Episode four sixty four was uh, was taped. By the way, I shouldn't say taped, but it was shown on the day of Martin Luther King's assassination. And you will see the famous Collinsport fly cross Angelique's portrait as it as Barnabas tries to rip it up. It's also mentioned that Ben Stokes died at age 75 by Professor Stokes. Well, in a much later episode, which we're not going to go into, his gravestone is shown, and it says 1756 to 1816, which would make him 60. And in a much, much later episode, he's 84 years old. So apparently he keeps running around in terms of when he and when he dies. The very famous dream curse starts during this episode block. 
And it's notable that the dream sequence is basically in darkness with set elements appearing in uh, small pools of light. Uh, This is really experimental theater, which you don't see nowadays in soaps. So it's very, very interesting to, to note this kind of thing. Addison Powell in this block is really is really seen to be overacting and uh, he will be screaming certain things out and especially when uh, he's going blind and he's emoting it's probably because he may have been told to imitate Colin Clive who was the Dr. Frankenstein of the 31 Boris Karloff and also 36 Bride of Frankenstein movies. And uh, and so that may be an explanation for for what he's done. When in episode 466, when Jeff says, be careful, the camera will sway to the left and you can see beyond it. And... Once again, in episode 469, Naomi's tombstone says, Naomi Collins' tombstone says 1761 to 1821, which was the original date that she died when they first, uh, before they first developed the plot line. But as you now know, she took poison in 1796. Finally, episode 481 is, is notable. Julia, of course, has a meltdown. Uh, when she sees the laboratory and the corpse with no head, which is played by Dwayne Morris, and uh, she runs into Eric Lang's office and, Call the police quickly, 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 uh, in pure Grayson Hall style. But the interesting blooper here is that Barnabas and Lang are trying to get into Lang's office where Julie is calling the police and the way the script originally had Barnabas dealing with the situation is to say Julia remember Dave Woodard and of course that was the doctor that Barnabas killed and made Julia feel very guilty about but Jonathan forgets the name of the character. So what he does is to say, Julia, remember someone. And then Addison Powell picks it up. Addison Powell was prepared for this. And Powell says Dave Woodard. So Fred had forgotten the name, and Addison Powell helped him out. But the whole thing was very, very poorly done. And so that is a small example of the many bloopers in this block. And I do thank you for listening. And now let's get back to the show.
Hello, I'm Vicki Ray. And I'm Keith Shago, and this is the Collinsport News. Victoria Winters is hanged in 1795 and is time is suspended when we are thrust back into 1968. And Victoria Winters screams and collapses. Back in 1795, Ms. Wicks is hung in Victoria's place. Poor Miss Wicks. Her only crime is being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Victoria Winters is the cause of this person's death. Meanwhile, back in 1968, Victoria has taken to lie down. Roger is flabbergasted about what he has witnessed. Elizabeth is handing out tranquilizers. Caroline is jumping to conclusions. David is nowhere to be seen. Julia is spurting out that she actually is a doctor, whilst Barnabas is concerned about himself. Julia notices that Victoria has a gunshot wound, and after some concern, after discussion with Elizabeth, this is soon forgotten about, and the mystery where Victoria is becomes too much to bear. Most family members have now decided what to explain, that to explain this or look for answers is far too cumbersome, and will ignore the last few months of programming as it didn't happen. <laughs> Barnabas continues to mope around the grounds and feels that Victoria Winters is a threat. Julia tells him that no harm will come to Victoria, so he decides that courting her might be the way to protect what she may or may not have learned during her 1795 expedition. This is where things get a bit fuzzy, as you would think Barnabas would have some memory of Victoria as he was there and lived through it, but it seems that this is something that will never be explored either. Victoria decides that the best way to get over her trauma is to go shopping and she finds the ugliest portrait of Angelique that looks like Laura Parker mixed with Miss Piggy. Why Laura Parker, the actress, would be happy to have this to be her portrait is anyone's guess, but it is the most unflattering portrait. And fasten your seatbelts because this is where we are going to have some plot lines that do not make sense. Victoria buys the Angelique pig featured portrait, but doesn't recognize the person in the portrait. Barnabas instantly knows who this is and tries to destroy the picture by throwing it in the fire, where it magically replaces itself into the frame. So dilemma time, Barnabas knows what it is, but Victoria does not. Roger comes into it and is enthralled with the Miss Piggy as Angelique portrait. Obviously, he has a pork infatuation. Professor Stokes shows up and wants to buy the portrait, but Roger overbids him and he now owns this. Victoria remembers Ben and comments on this to his ancestor, Professor Stokes, for which he brings us up to speed on what happened to Ben after we left the 1795 storyline. Barnabas takes Victoria to run off with him, and Victoria, having sworn off the past, decides that she is going to be with Barnabas, even though she is still in love with Jeff after finding out that Jeff was put to death for the murder Victoria, in fact, committed. Instead of grieving like a normal person, she goes in a car ride and they find a man who looks like Peter Bradford in the middle of the road. Personally, I would have hit him, but they avoid hitting him, causing them to get into an accident. Victoria wakes up to see Jeff Clark, the Peter Bradford looky-likey, sitting beside her. Jeff Clark tells her that they do not know each other and Victoria has something to gnaw over. Meanwhile, Barnabas, being in a worse way, which is there was no garlic crosses or wooden stakes involved, one wonders what the hell happened in this car crash for Victoria to be unscathed and Barnabas being the worst of the two. Barnabas lays in bed in his fetching PJs and Dr. Lang, coming off a universal creature feature, decides that more tests need to happen. And with the use of 1968 technology and blood tests and with the aid of a teleprompter, Dr. Lang figures out the truth about Barnabas. Dr. Lang tells Julia that he knows the truth about Barnabas. 
Dr. Lang apparently figures out that he can find a cure for Barnabas, which makes Dr. Lang Barnabas's new best friend. Dr. Lang does ask about Julia's interest in Barnabas, which Barnabas replies that she is just a good friend. Dr. Lang suspects that Julia has the itch for Barnabas. Roger becomes increasingly erratic over his new art purchase and tends to blur the lines of who he is and becomes Joshua on a few occasions to the point where he thinks he is married to his sister, Elizabeth, who he thinks is Naomi. Get your pretty heads around that incestuous cluster. Well, you know what I mean. Victoria takes this in her stride and after witnesses explains about Joshua who falls on death ears and yet she still doesn't remember Angelique whose laughter can be heard through the painting. There is no mistaking that laugh, but just in case you're not familiar, we do get a close-up of the unflattering picture. Dr. Lang has a conversation with Jeff in the teleprompter about Jeff's questionable past, which seems to be slightly reflective of the Peter Bradford storyline and murder, etc. Due to the uncanny appearance of Jeff to Peter Bradford, Victoria is starting to think they are one and the same. Barnabas is happy as a lark as he sees the sun, hears the birds, and is delighted with his new lease of life. And this lasts for about a day until he starts to revert to vampirism. Dr. Lang confirms that there will be some testing and trialing to pursue, but he has the way to make the cure more permanent, which makes Barnabas settle down a little, although he still lacks patience. After seeing Peter Bradford on numerous occasions, Victoria knows that her heart can't go on without the love of Jeff, the Jeff Clark lookalike and tells Barnabas she cannot marry him. Dr. Lang, finding an in with Barnabas, confirms that he could help Victoria change her mind. Barnabas likes this idea and decides to go along with, along with Dr. Lang. Dr. Lang's devilish plan is to graft Jeff Clark's head a ton of the body that he and Jeff have been building from body parts of the Eagle Hill Cemetery. A little bit of Burke, a little bit of Matthew, and an arm of Guthrie, the chest of Jason McGuire, and I guess there will, that will all come together for a soul and essence of Barnabas to enter. I would like to say that this is all part of the science, but I think this is how it's going to be very, very vacant. Roger decides to kill Dr. Lang on the behest of Angelique's portrait speaking to him, decides that Dr. Lang has to go to ensure that Barnabas is not cured. Barnabas and Julia step in and Roger befuddles himself away, confused about what is going on. One has to wonder when Joshua became so horny for Angelique, as in 1795, he didn't like her at all. Why? Anyone? Roger decides to sell the portrait of Angelique to Professor Stokes and pretty much hands it to him. Professor Stokes is amused that he's getting the picture for a steal. Roger then comes home married to Cassandra, a.k.a. Angelique, with a dark wig. For you laymans out there, think bewitched. Samantha to Sabrina scenario. Cassandra does her passive-aggressive routine while making doe eyes at Roger, who seems to be in total love, much to everyone's annoyance. It seems that Professor Stokes introduced the two, and it was hot and heavy between them, so that they married within an hour of meeting. Victoria puts two and two together and realizes that, in fact, Cassandra is Angelique, though she still hasn't recognized the person in the picture. Go figure. Roger is hoping for a night of hot passion, but Cassandra gives him some saltpeter in his drink, so Roger won't be getting any tonight. Cassandra decides that she will return Barnabas to the curse. For Barnabas goes to Professor Stokes to ask about Cassandra and receives a talisman which can be used against Angelique, a.k.a. Cassandra. Cassandra decides to put her plan in action, which is stopped by Dr. Lang using talisman, which annoys Cassandra, who runs home with her tail between her legs. Dr. Lang claims that during his experiment that Barnabas' life force, do vampires have a life force, will be drained into the new creation. 
Barnabas becomes excited as he thinks of all the new faces he may have, sex symbol or just a normal Joe. The sky is the limit. What face he may have. Angelique, the goddess of writing on everyone's parade, tells Barnabas that she's going to grant him the dream curse and everyone that graces the path of this show. Fashion your seatbelts because everyone and their dog is going to have this dream curse and we are going to see each and every person experience this for themselves. At the end of this tedious dream cycle, Barnabas will resort back to his vampiric ways. Maggie goes to bed. It is so good to see her again, especially as Cassandra looks like she has seen a ghost and thinks that she's Josette's ghost that has returned and that she sees Maggie is wearing her bedspread for a skirt and realizes it's somebody else. Maggie then goes to bed. We have the first person to experience the paper mache skull. Barnabas finally realizes that Victoria is in love with Jeff. Meanwhile, Jeff is tied to the table as Dr. Lang gets ready to transfer Jeff's face to the body. Barnabas decides to stop the shenanigans and tries to reason with Dr. Lang to stop the experiment. Dr. Lang is not buying it. Someone stops by and Dr. Lang goes to see who it is. Barnabas unties the unconscious Jeff. Dr. Lang returns and as Barnabas and Dr. Lang fight to read the teleprompter, Jeff wakes up. Jeff jumps off the table, plays ring around the rooms, while Dr. Lang goes on the chase. Jeff decides that the best way to get away is to have Dr. Lang's back to the teleprompter to prevent him from talking, but these only causes Dr. Lang to improvise. Jeff looks at him with utter dismay. How can he recite lines that he cannot read? And through this perplexity, Dr. Lang injects Jeff so he falls down. Barnabas looks on and pretty much state, you probably shouldn't have done that. Julia walks into the situation and finally understands the situation. She is taught progressing science and the horrification of corpse riding. We get Julia in high horror fashion, high camp crying and wringing her hands in grief. This is Julia at her campy best. Cassandra gets Tony under her spell and asks Tony to steal the talisman away from Dr. Lang. He goes to take it, but it doesn't go to plan and ends up empty handed. Cassandra is pissed. Tony is not going to get any loving, and Dr. Lang is perplexed as to why he had a scene with Tony. Victoria asks Maggie if Jeff can stay at her house, which she agrees. Victoria leaves, and Jeff shows up with Maggie wearing her bedspread skirt, or maybe the afghan that was on the back of the sofa, but not exactly a fetching look for our young girl next door. Maggie is under weather, and she shares her dream with Jeff and then feels better. Unfortunately for us, the viewers, we get to experience the dream curse yet once again, but this time with Jeff. And this brings us to the end of the Collinsport News. I'm Keith Shago. And I'm Vicki Ray. And this was your Collinsport News. Hello, welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and we want to thank Jim and Valerie Storm for joining us. Now we're going to talk about episodes 461 to 42, and starting with Tom, what are your thoughts of these episodes? Well, uh, as usual now, we're back, uh, we're back in the present, and the first, ep- and the first episode, which the, the, the funniest blooper that comes to mind is they have just, in episode 461, they've just... It's the seance, and they're frozen in time. And wouldn't you know it, the very first scene, Louis Edmonds uh, rolls up his rolls up his shirt sleeve. 
while they're all supposed to be frozen and nobody's supposed to be nobody's supposed to be moving and he goes ahead and rolls up his shirt sleeve uh which is great but the bottom line is that now after they after they've gotten back and uh Jonathan Frid once again at first is the very paranoid Barnabas and he's looking at everybody like he's afraid they're going to attack him and uh there's this whole the whole bit between her and him and Julia uh that they're you know Julia finally admits she's a doctor and everybody's shocked oh that's uh, right yeah. you know and uh and Jonathan is and and and, Bar- and Barnabas is what are you doing? You know, that kind of thing. So, but we, but we essentially have a lot of plots again, now starting to converge. Um, Roger Davis uh, comes on as uh, Jeff Clark. Uh, I don't know why, but Craig Slocum comes on as Harry Johnson, Mrs. Johnson's son. I think that's for comic. Oh yeah. Yeah. To me was, it was, it was, I don't know, at least in this block, it's totally wasted because you see him rummaging through doors, through drawers uh, at the end. Yeah, and that was, yeah, that he was really, it. He really didn't do much of anything, did he? Really? Well, he didn't do much in the 1795 storyline. I thought yeah. to myself, I was like, I wonder whose parents are. I wonder if he's a friend of Dan's or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, real quick question for I forget. Okay, so I know like... I've seen it in the resurgence of different episodes, like new ones, like the, like the Ben Cross version. But did you guys think that Victoria and Barnabas, or did Barnabas recognize Victoria as knowing her See, now? Where, yeah, I think they dropped the ball a little bit here because they kind of they kind of skate past this. Because whether, I was does Barnabas have uh, have a memory of um, Victoria? Because because he because when she comes back, what? What should have happened in my eyes, if like if if I was orchestrating Dark Shadows, right. I would have him as soon as she comes back, all of a sudden like the realization of all those years right. passed through his face. But we don't really get that. It's only when she says she went back in time that he seems to register. And you're kind of and she and then he's like then he has that oh shit moment. It's like, oh damn. But he <laughs> like, would have known her at that time because all this had already happened. It, it seems well, another be, thing yeah. is is that yeah. we don't that um if he had a remembrance of Victoria being back in that time, he would have known that Victoria would have known nothing about him being a vampire. True that. Because her, 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 his vampire storyline and her storyline never cross at all at any point during what we've seen so far in the 1795. And so, so you would have thought personally, you know, this is the way I look at it. You would have thought that with her coming back to the present after being in the past, that he would know this. This would be, you know, it's not like it would become a realization. It's almost right. like this would become part of him because he lived through this time with her. You know, it's a bit like, you know, if, if I went back in time and went to school with you, then, you know, we met when, you know, we went to school together at that time instead of when we met later. Right. Then, you know, then if I came back to the present, we would have all these other memories that would have kind of foreshadowed anything that would take right. it over. It, it also could have been stuff. a matter of the acting. Uh, because uh, instead of, you know, you don't see the emotional register on Fred's face no. uh, in terms of uh, recognize, realizing that Vicky 
was actually in the, he kind of treated it more intellectually, uh, but by saying later on that, well, she replaced Phyllis Wick. Phyllis, he explains, uh, that they do put something in there that Phyllis Wick originally was Sarah's governess and Phyllis Wick originally hanged. And so you got the impression that Vicky replaced uh, and he realizes that Vicky replaced Phillips, Phyllis Wick, but he seems to remember both timelines. Yeah, and, which is possible. I mean, the thing is, because there would be a paradox where he lived through both. So. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. True. So, but it it is a paradox because the choice could have been made where he forgot about for who Phyllis Wicks was completely because Vicky took over uh, Phyllis uh, the the entire uh, Vicky practically took over him. Phyllis Wicks did not exist in that alternate timeline. But I think that the writers had to establish the fact that Barnabas was more omniscient uh, in terms of realizing what was going on. So I, th- so I think that, uh, that, had, that definitely had something to do with it. But once again, you do have multiple plot lines. You have the Angelique's portrait. Right. Uh, to bring oh, I mean, let's talk about that portrait. There it we go. Like, it's like Laura <laughs> Parker mixed with Miss Piggy. I mean, I don't know who did that, <laughs> but that is like the worst portrait picture. Like, you know, and, I mean, there are a few plot holes there as well. It's like, you know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't recognize her. It's just like, well, and, but then part of you looks at that picture. It's like, well, I can understand. It looks kind of like, Miss Piggy as Angelique kind of picture. Like, it really and, isn't flattering. And she's such a beautiful um, woman too, yes, you know? Yes. I know. And why, I mean, I'm surprised, you know, obviously Laura Parker was relatively new. I'm sure if she was there for a couple years by that point, I think she probably could have put her foot down. Like, you're not yeah. using that picture. Point of <laughs> fact, now that you bring it up, and we don't want to get too far into, into going, but you will see another portrait of Laura Parker, which is much more flattering. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be a year or two from now. So, and right. that's all I'm going to say about that. But, uh, but I, I just felt I felt sorry for. Her. No wonder I'm. You know, no wonder she put the, she does her bewitched Sabrina thing and puts on her black wig. <laughs> it's like I don't want to be associated with that picture. <laughs> speaking of speaking of black, speaking of hairdos, what do you think about Julia's new hairdo? You know, I liked it. It's very um, Mia Farrow, Rosemary's Baby, Vida yes. Sassoon look. But isn't it, it looks that really Vida good Sassoon. on her because let's face it, I don't care who lived through it. My aunts did. They had that thing, that flip roll. I mean, that is so unattractive on a woman. Yeah. I don't care. If I was the 60s, I would have been the long-haired hippie because I would have never had that flip roll thing going up on the top. Well, I think Grayson Hall must have had something to say about it because after she a couple of days. He looks sharp in that haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After a it, couple I think of days it suits her. That. Though it does make you wonder who cut her hair in Collinsport to give her something modern hairstyle. <laughs> well, they all said something, you know. Barnabas said, "Oh, look at your hair," and Vicky said, "Oh my, oh look at that new haircut and everything." Oh, and so they her. really wanted to get it across to the fans that Julia now looks different. Julia now looks less frumpy than she did with that old, uh, you know, uh, and of course, uh, you know, she's still, she's still, she's got beautiful skin. I've always noticed that in all of her shots, she has got beautiful skin. I just had to say that because I really admire her skin every time I see her close-ups. She just, the camera loves her. It just does. I mean, speaking of Julia Hoffman as well, we finally, it's finally out in the open about how, um, and, 
what she her feelings are for Barnabas. Yeah, yeah. it's finally yes. out and in the open. They actually actually say it this time. More than that, 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 that Barnabas admits to it. Barnabas has known all along when he's having that conversation he's a turd. with Dr. Lang. <laughs> and he says, but he was essentially saying, Julia cares for me. We can use that. I uh, know, he's such a shit. <laughs> Just a shit. Well... <laughs> I'd sit there and say it's probably the only person, the only love interest of Barnabas that's age appropriate so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least she's got a driver's license, you know. <laughs> and, and then, but also remember that Angelique's portrait was also used in the last block. It right. was, uh, it was hanging on just it was hanging in the wall of the old that's house right i totally forgot about five and then it turned into a skeleton or something like that yeah. at one point yeah. so it was uh so we so we first get the introduction to the portrait there and of course roger davis is used a lot in this block coming back as jeff clark and he's practically in every in every episode and we have the introduction yes go ahead Vic. Go ahead. i just before i lose track of this because i know you go guys ahead. pay real close attention I have to ask if Victoria Winters is like really fickle because she just got, uh, she just found out that, you know, her main man dies in a plane accident in, in, the, in the, whatever, in South America. That was a year ago. But then she falls in love, but, but she's, but then she falls in love with Peter, Yeah. but she comes back and she's with Barnabas. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, as far as you have to remember that when she goes back in 1795, Time does not stand still for her. So she's no. living every single day. So we're looking at months. I, so I imagine 1795 okay. takes over months. So that gives her enough time to get over. Before she meets Jeff Clark, there's that quite a few months there before she actually meets well, Jeff not, Clark. Well, actually, she meets Peter Bradford first, right? Yes, Peter Bradford. Did. Yeah, sorry, Peter Bradford. So she's, she, she, sorry, I get, I get, I get the two. I get a big, I get, I do. But, but she, then, she meets Peter Bradford, like, like we're talking about like a few months after Burke's death anyway. Now, when she comes back to the present, when she finds out, yeah, she kind of does jump from the love of her life to, but the thing is, I don't know if she loves Barnabas or it's a simple fact to get away from the situation because there is a, there's a thing that Barnabas and her are going to run away and he's going to take her out of Collinsport right, and they're going to start right. a new remember life together. also, Barnabas so. bitter. And so that's she, right. That's spell. right. She was under his spell. So true, that's true. You're right. So, so that Maybe I you think you guys would remember. So. Yeah, that and that I think is the main reason for Vicky, you know, for for Vicky wanting to go with that. But then it's very interesting that uh, after what was it? At one point, I think uh, Angelique was actually preventing Vicky from having more feelings towards Barnabas while he was still a vampire. Uh, when she came back as Cassandra, she was preventing actually, and Barnabas couldn't figure it out. Then, of course, Barnabas got into the accident and was killed, and you know, and not killed. Barnabas got into the accident and was cured, and uh, you know, and but but I think that's uh, but I think that answers that. Well, we right. also get Barnabas's consciousness going on as well, where he decides to let Vicky go. That he's no longer be when he realized that Vicky's really how much she's in love with Peter Bradford slash Jeff Clark. That's, and yeah. that's, and that's when he lets her go. And I got a feeling the reason why we're gone through this storyline is because before 1795, we had the whole Victoria Barnabas storyline going and this kind of wraps this up sort of thing. So that way we can say goodbye to this factuation, Barnabas and Victoria and Barnabas is letting her go. So she can 
so she can pursue her life. And we, and we kind of needed that kind well, of closure. He was kind of holding too. on to it because let's face it, he was going to use uh, his face to put on. He used Jeff Clark's face. To, yeah, to, so he wanted to get rid of him. Yeah, but he changed his mind when she realized. But once he, he I mean, and this is where, him. I think this is the time where you actually finally get Barnabas's humanity coming through. And this is yes, actually after he becomes human because he does go, I can't do this to her. I agree. And it's, because, a, and it's, yeah. uh, it's, and we, it's, and it's quite touching. I mean, it's, it's not a big drawn out scene and he only says right, it within like right. two or three lines. And I think they might, they could have milked it a little bit more, but he does say it. And basically like, I'm going to put Victoria's well-being ahead of my own because well, at the I end of the day, I want her to be happy. And that's what we see in this, in this block. So. Well, it's a very crucial scene, actually, in terms of what you're talking about, because it, 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 you know, I mean, it really shows when he is cured and when he wakes up in the hospital. Right. And there's that big thing where, once again, Addison Powell uh, as Lang, who uh, he was a great, but I, I, I still think he overacted a bit. We were talking about this during the break, yeah. and Vicky loved him and stuff. I love like, him. I think he's yeah. fun. <laughs> but when he when he takes the curtains off and says it's four o'clock in yeah. the afternoon, <laughs> da, 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 you know, and 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 then there goes Jonathan. Ah! I know. He puts his hands in front of his face. Breathes and all this and all this nonsense. But then after that, then when. Barnabas realizes that he is cured and he can look at the sun. You got this great speech that John, another one of those soliloquies that for right. years, uh, it's great to, to look at the sun again and to look at the flowers right. and to be able to blah, blah, blah. And I think that's the first time that you really see the happy realization that he has cured for the first time in 200 years. And it's a culmination. And then later on in the block, when he decides to give Vicky up in favor of Jeff and the senior we were talking about, Keith, is where, where Fred says, I will not cry again. Cry enough with crying, you know, that kind of thing. It was a very, very, I think it was very poignant uh, to see that now you've got a real change and it's fr- and from the block. You see the first from the first episode in 461 where Barnabas is looking like a hunted animal, literally a paranoid animal. You see the old Barnabas again. And when I first saw that, I said, oh, for God's sakes, give me a break. Aren't you guys uh, kind of missing the bushy eyebrows and the dirty old pervert look? To be honest, though, I have to sit there and say with the Barnabas in this block, it's finally good to see. I think this is the first time we actually see a change. Yes, it's right. Him. Because possibly so. Because because you know you know we got we got Barnabas when he first was introduced to the show, um, and he's you know he's like the animal on the hunt. We got the whole the whole fixation of Josette going over and over and over again. Then we get to meet Josette, and we kind of got this. Then we got spoiled spoiled man child Barnabas. Spoiled man child. Well, that's what he was. I mean, basically, you know, if he didn't get what he wants, he pretty. I mean, look at the way he slaps someone. It's like I, you know, like a spoiled child didn't get what he wants. He slaps his mom. Who I feel him. sorry for Willie. He just beats the dog crap out of him every chance he gets. 
<laughs> well, and but I mean, it, but it was, you know, it's quite, but then, you know, then we were bopped to here. And so we got this whole thing. It's like, okay, uh, you know, when the whole Victoria storyline goes, you know, they're going to get together and they're going to run off. And you're like, oh, God, are we going through this again? And then we get the change where he actually has a change of heart. And then we finally get to see Barnabas as a different character. It's Barnabas, but Barnabas is now matured and grown finally. A matured, and- grown human being who... Uh, who is willing to give up the woman that he loves, realizing that, you know, this would never work. And but he also, we also find out he has a softness for Julia as well. He yes. has a soft, he has a soft yes. spot for her as well. He'll go, she'll do anything for me. I, I she needs out. to be there. Now it comes out where he's saying, Julia, you were, we were friends. Can we be that again? Right. Uh, and, poor and, Julia. And, oh, it's like, well, poor Julia. Pines yeah. for him, kind of, you know, it's, it's such unrequited love, you know. But she knew, yeah. but she knew what she was getting into. But oh, she still I know, but anyway. it still doesn't mean it doesn't suck any less. For of her course, kid. of course. Yeah. But but it's it's spinster love, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, haven't you guys ever, don't you remember being young and you just had a major crush on somebody that oh, didn't you. know you were alive? I mean, oh, 100 years ago, yes. I well, don't you that. remember what it was like? Yeah, but you know, you know, what, you know what Julia's character, though, how I see Julia's character is, you know, this is 1960s. Okay, and that's something I say that she went to medical school in the 40s and you know right. maybe right, probably the 50s right, right. in right. a time where women didn't go to medical school. Right. Very few. So therefore, she had to be very career focused. So therefore, any kind of love or any kind True. of softness in her life, she had to be driven. So therefore, she put that all aside. Now here she is. She's successful. Whatever. Whether she, I don't not I'm not we're sure I'm still not sure what kind of doctor she is, but she can do everything so far. The psychiatrist is doing everything and anything outside of her scope, but that's yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but at the same time, she's you know you know she's she you know you have to sacrifice someone to be that respected, and we do understand that she is respected and she's well known. I mean, even Doctor Lang's heard of her. No one, I mean, and everyone, and, you know, she's very well, well respected. So therefore, she finally comes across someone that finally is like, I'm respected in my career, and now I can actually because I'm respected in my career, I can now take a little time for myself. But of course, she's up, she's past the age of her prime. Right. No one's interested in a forty to fifty year old woman anymore looking for love. That's considered pathetic in this way society is. So she's kind of stuck in this this thingy and she Ooh, finds this guy who's basically gonna get after you for that statement. But, but, you know, but the thing is you have to look at the time period that we're in. Oh, we're looking I know. At, I we're know. looking at the nineteen you know, we're looking at the late sixties. I mean e, I mean women's rights weren't they weren't even marching yet. No, it was uh, it was the ERA yeah. was a gleam in everybody's eye. I don't even think Precisely. that Gloria Gloria Steinman hasn't even come you know crusted over you know crusted over the hall up the hill yet. Yeah, you know. also remember that Woodard, when they when they had and Robert Geringer, and I loved his portrayal as Woodard. I'll still never forget that scene uh, that happened during the first year, where he dis, where he talks to Julia, and he discovers and he says, "Come on, Julia, I know you're really interested in him, aren't you?" And you yeah, know, she giggles like a little schoolgirl. Uh, and uh, and no one Woodard, wants to get caught when you get saying, caught crushing, you know. Yeah. Well, no. also, when you fall in love with someone who doesn't have those feelings back, your love for that person gets stronger. Yeah. Unfortunately, Unfortunately you want what you can't have, and that's uh, that's that Star Trek thing that we talked about a while ago. Uh, you know, having is not the same as wanting. Right. Uh, but 
you don't know that until, you know, it just, and of course it can even bridge into obsession, which is what Dark Shadows did best. It, you right. know, it talked about the obsessions of all. Definitely of got obsession nailed in Dark Shadows. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what I thought was interesting also was the brief way where they tried to explore the possession of Ro- of Joshua and Roger as Angelique was affecting him. And he'd look at the painting and start talking and he thought that Liz was Naomi. Right. And, uh, you had that brief scene of, uh, of uh, Joan Bennett in the Naomi dress as he's right. busy and I, I don't do this to me Naomi and she's going Roger what's wrong with you you know that kind of thing and I thought Louis Edmond did a very interesting job there in terms of going back and forth between Joshua and Roger uh, I, I just thought that was very interesting to see the Roger in his clothes and everything like in his usual in his usual garb talking like Joshua Right. I, I thought that was I thought that was really cool. Um, now, and of course, another thing you had a lot of plots going on here. The yeah. dream curse is introduced. Uh, yeah. Oh, the dream curse! Oh, yeah. the dream curse! Well, the good thing about the good thing about the dream curse being introduced is kind of something new and exciting. Yes, yes. Um, I'm not sure when next month when we go to the next block how ex- new and exciting this will be, but at the moment it's new and exciting. I will milk it for <laughs> months. I'm still I in the dream curse. If that gives you any idea where they I will am. go through every. Well, character. let's put it this way. They will and, have and, the, you know, and you know and you know it gets a bit desperate when you know the the bar the barman at the um at the blue whale starts having the dream curse. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh god. Well, I think the Collinwood do- the cattle that have been killed by no barnum, they're going to start to happen. The, <laughs> we also the, the, the Collinwood fly the, has the uh, <laughs> Collinwood fly. I love it. I love it. Well, we also get into where Cassandra is uh, comes comes into the picture too, and she marries. Uh, I mean, the thing that's, with Tony. Quite, that's quite interesting because, um, I mean, I have to sit there and say that you know, poor poor Roger on that honeymoon. He thought he was going to get his, and basically yeah, she just kind of squashed that with a little bit of powder from her um, wedding Salt ring. <laughs> I'm waiting for you, Cassandra. Where I know. It's just like she's already got it. She fixed his wagon. And then she'll and, sprain another ankle and, you know. Oh, well, that's and, right. Yeah, she sprained an ankle. <laughs> yeah. put out and, one tonight. And, and it's been a long time since poor Roger's been laid. So, unfortunately, Roger, like that's going to be happening again. soon. Yep, yeah. yep. Didn't you also like, I thought there was one episode that was very interesting where they had Joe Crothers doing both the role of Joe Haskell and Nathan Forbes in one episode right. where they had the dream. Oh, um, that's right. Uh, which 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 I thought was really really interesting, and the same thing with Roger Davis uh, right. doing Peter Bradford and Jeff Clark at the end of the episode. They had the right. accident at the end of the episode, uh, and I thought that was also a nice little experimentation. Uh, probably the actors got paid extra for doing two roles that day. Uh, it would be help. interesting, but uh, the only the only problem I would have basically is that it was great seeing Louis Edmonds do his dual roles. Great seeing. Joe Haskell do his um, right. funeral. Mm-hmm. The only problem with I think with Roger Davis character is that Peter Bradford and Jeff Clark are kind of the, the one and the same person, they unfortunately. The so when you same. did see the change, it kind of like it's like it, it, it took it, actually it took me a little while to catch on a little bit. I knew it was a dream sequence, and I was kind of going, okay, oh, I, yeah, okay. Yeah. I had to like I actually had to think about it 
It, well, the other oh. ones I didn't have to think about. Oh, this is quite cool. With that, I had to I'm kind still of trying to figure out what the skeleton about it a little bit. door number two is. You know, <laughs> it's um, that's it's let's, kind of it's let's make a deal, isn't it? I'll have door number two. <laughs> that dream curse. That's a carnival show, literally, where you go through the different doors and stuff like that. And I don't want to give too much away, but as you see in later blocks, you'll actually see the dry ice coming out of the canister. Yeah. <laughs> 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 which which yeah. is really good which is really funny i mean uh, I, I've, I i mean i've i've seen past this and not not you know quite a while ago but i i, I do know that when we do when we get more into dream curse we get to see it it presents it, it kind of like it goes from the beginning and then and then you get a little bit more and the next character goes right. from the beginning and you get and then you right. get and they keep adding to it so yeah right right but so by the, by the time the last character goes it's the whole episode of that person going through the drinkers but but there's a, but when professor stokes and now now that's another thing Thayer david comes on as professor stokes i love him he's fantastic brilliant in this i thought he was so good and it goes to show you the versatility of his character and oh way. god yes he's such a great actor mr collins and and it was fantastic that we have to give the writer some extra kudos here about giving yes. us the history of what happened to his to ben Ben, ben. yeah because you are kind of left wondering what <laughs> happened to ben you are but he tells us and it's so good that they they gave us that because we, I mean, Ben was one of those characters from the beginning of 1795. It's like, okay, he's a he's a retarded character. I don't, I don't, I don't think anything of him. And by the end of it, you end up loving Ben by the end of the 1795, and you actually started caring about Ben's character. And so it was quite nice to have that finishing touch that we get. That, and this is, you know, and it's because of it's because of Barnabas telling his father to if that the well, last thing you him. can do for me is to, if you can free, free him free. and we know that when ben was freed that you know his aunt you know his you know his, his children's children were able to be successful and become a proper you know become proper citizens and become proper people and do the most with he's done the most with his life with his freedom he didn't waste it that's was quite nice to no know. he well, did he, yeah if and and is, he does, yeah. and, you know, actually, you know, as far as characters go, I mean, they, he plays this one, this pathetic, uneducated, you know, indentured Illiterate. servant. And then Illiterate, you see yeah. him switch gears completely into this intelligent, well-versed, knowledgeable, well-traveled professor person. And right. I mean, his range is just huge, you know, I mean, he, I, yeah. I love him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think he and, and if it makes you feel job. any better, this is not the last you're going to see of Ben. You're going to no. see Ben again, and we'll, you know, that, that we'll we'll discuss that at a later time. As a matter of, and, and, and even later on, you're going to see Ben in a very unusual, uh, in a very unusual way, and, and it kind of, uh, for some reason, it actually uh, comes full circle, and it kind of shows you, and it kind of shows you what happened. Uh, with Ben, they take a little bit of liberty later on in the show about that right. plot, but uh, you haven't seen the last of Ben. I think it was really a, a, a really beloved sidekick to uh, the Barnabas of 1795. But now uh, Timothy Stokes, and he's actually called T. Elliot Stokes later on in the show, and you're going to see Julie, right now. They're, not, they're just going to call him Professor Stokes right now, but they never really called him Timothy. Uh, the, Julia will wind up calling him Elliot, and that's a little trivial thing. But that's when we really get to know uh, Stokes as a 
uh, a kind of stalwart companion, and you have a new triumvirate now that you're going to have, because Willie isn't around right now. Before you had Barnabas, Julia, and Willie, but yeah. you're going to have Julia, Julia, Barnabas, and Professor Stokes. Yeah. That's going to be the new triumvirate. And uh, Stokes is going to lend the academic side. Julia's going to lend the medical side. And Barnabas is, I don't know. I don't want this. You know, that kind of thing. And, and so Friddle Lamote. But but they but it all works. It all works. It's really it's really great. I do think we I mean Doctor I, mean, I think we should dive a little bit into Dr. Lang. Mm-hmm. To me, I'll tell you the reason why I like him. I know that he's looking for the teleprompter all the time. And, <laughs> and, and there are scenes where him and Barnabas are fighting for the teleprompter. <laughs> And, this and, is over. And, it was Addison Powell overacts, and that, and that's a and that's a shame it's because great though. Yeah, but maybe I, but you just I, goes you know what into I loved it. it. But you know what I loved about him? It kind of it reminded me of those monster movie matinees that I used to grow up with in those old nineteen thirties and forties. Mad scientist, right. the mad stuff. scientist, and he's overacting. And I have to sit there and say, I'll give it to him. But there's one point that. Um, when he's chasing Jeff around the um, table, yeah. and at one point he has his, he has his back to the camera, to the back to the teleprompter. And I, I thought to myself, like, oh my god, he's got to say his lines from memory. How's this gonna go? <laughs> and he's yeah, and he, and he lives. No, I, actually, you brought up a good point, Keith, because I don't know if Addison Powell drew upon Colin Clive's portrayal of Dr. Frankenstein in the 31 Boris Karloff movie. But now that I come to think of it, you know, Colin Clive was kind of like that when he, and he goes, you know, when he's, when he's saying, uh, it's alive. Now I, it's alive. Now I know what it is to be God, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you see that in Addison Powell's portrayal. Uh, and, and I like that because it gives a nod to what it's coming from it's, it's it's giving a nod to the creature features of universal studios yeah, and that's absolutely. what i like about his thingy i mean i know that he's bumbling his lines and i know he's kind of over a place but there's such an intensity and it looks and he and he looks like he's having a really good time and that's i think and that that's why i think i like dr lang because he looks like he's having a really good time and it, i have to sit there and say that everyone who's on who has a scene with him looks like they're having a good time with him as well they're looking like yeah. they're really getting into this the only thing is, don't ever let him inject you with anything. I was talking about the famous. Oh blue my god! What is it with blue liquid in this show? The blue liquid in the syringe. Uh, it looks like a butterball turkey baster. Well, it's actually blue liquid in the vial, but when yes. he first draws it, there's no liquid coming into the syringe. That's right, and that's, that's right. what he injects him. He's injecting him with pure air. There you go. <laughs> will kill you because you have an air bubble that forms yeah. if you inject somebody with pure air. One of the yeah. things you got to do is have it has an embolism. Exactly. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you Jeff Clark has an embolism. <laughs> so if you wanted to kill the guy, that was the best way to do it. But, Actually, yeah. But, but I have to sit there and say, though, I mean, you have to remember, I mean, they just, you know, the cameras are on and you just go for it and hope for the best, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But 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 it took a close up, and that was the, the the beauty of that blooper that it took a close up of no liquid oh. in the syringe, and he's and he's putting it into the vial. I thought it was I could, they straightened that out because after that, every time you saw the syringe, there was a little blue liquid in there. Yeah, and, you know that kind of thing. And then and 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 Roger, you know, I thought Roger did a good job, but there were a lot of pratfalls. You know, I mean, you know, Roger would like be injected. Go, 
you know, that kind of thing. He'd, he'd, he'd fall over. It was a little overacting on both their parts. But, but, but again, it's an homage to the Frankenstein monster movies of Universal. That whole, that whole plot. And um, it is it's- the idea of uh, the idea of him wanting to cut off Jeff's head. Uh, you know, that's that was just so funny. You had this, this, this thing that's laying on, you have this, whatever it is, his body, and it's laying on a gurney, and it's got this thing over at the neck. You know, what was that? <laughs> is it supposed to like hide the neck that doesn't have a head? <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I mean, I have to sit there and say that I do think that with Dr. Lang on the set, it does, I think it does promote a little bit of overacting because we do get, when Julia finds out what the plan is and what's going on, we do get her going, oh my God, this is horrible. Oh my God, no, no, okay, I'll go. No, 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 back and forth, that back and forth that she does there. The the thing, you talk about about Julia when, when, and, and Frid makes the blooper, he forgets Dave Woodard's name. So when he, when uh, Julia has seen the lab and she's horrified and she decides to call the cops and she goes into Lang's off uh, Lang's office and locks the door and uh, she's like and she calls the police and she says please get here quickly 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 and she starts to go ah and with the doorbell scream and stuff like that it's like really it's like really fun and then uh, Frid and uh, Addison Powell are there and Frid makes the blooper Julia someone someone and Addison Powell picks up on the line and says Dave Woodard he goes, yes, Julia, Dave, remember Dave Woodard, remember Dave Woodard. But that was a great blooper where Fred forgot and Fred said, remember someone. <laughs> he was, he was like, clearly, he, he was clearly, but. That's because that Dr. Was, Lang was in, in front of the teleprompter so Barnabas couldn't see it. <laughs> that, that is funny. <laughs> That's like I, I didn't notice that's, that. Um, that's, yeah, that's exactly was it, you know? Yeah, no, he, he didn't remember Dave Woodard's name. He killed the guy, but he didn't remember his name. <laughs> but, Dwayne, well, Dwayne with, with, Ju- with Julia just going like, that whole thing was like, oh, it's like that whole, when she, when she, when she gets into like, when her hysterical mode, I love Julia when it gets hysterical. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh my great. God, woman. <laughs> and she screams like a doorbell. Well, how how bizarre though? He's going to graft Jeff Clark's head onto this immobile body on a gurney with something. I just still don't know what that is. Especially but. with that small little scalpel. Uh, I know it's just like he starts <laughs> to cut. It's just like, does he really think he's going to cut that with that? I, I mean, you, you couldn't a, take a, a fingernail. Saw with that. At least you know. I mean, you know, Dwayne Morris. By the way, let's give him credit. Dwayne Morris was the uh, uncredited actor who played the body. Mr. Body. Mr. Body. <laughs> Mr. Body. And there's another, it was a lot of beautiful bloopers. When you had a close up of them, they were looking at the scar on the arm. And this is supposed to be a dead body. But then you look at the neck and you see the carotids going. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I noticed. Then, <laughs> Let's not forget that Roger was going to kill Dr. Lang in this part, too. Because with the Angel- harpoon, with the harpoon. Yeah. <laughs> Angelique got them all going. <laughs> she was bewitching him. I don't think Louis Edmonds could have could have with, with such force. I don't think he could have done anything like that. But uh, but that was that was really funny. Oh, and I mean, also let's to... not forget let's not forget um, the gal who played Phyllis Wick uh, in in 
in episode 261, who, 461, who was different from Dory Kavanaugh. And, and her name was Margot Head. Well, okay, whatever. Margot Head. She kind of Mar- looked familiar. I don't know why that was bothering me. There was something about her character that looked familiar. Well, well let's be blamed- honest. Vic- Victoria killed her. Yeah, let's, basically. Let's yeah, there was she, no if Victoria didn't act, if Victoria wasn't so wishy washy in seventeen ninety five, Phyllis Wick might have lived today. <laughs> she might right. have ancestors. She could have ancestors. But, but, <laughs> once, but once again, while they're all supposed to be frozen in time, Margot Head as Phyllis is blinking her eyes. So yeah, keeps thinking. Well, you have to admit though, Vicky is like the harbinger of doom. She's like the prince <laughs> yes. of darkness. You know, <laughs> because of her actions, Phyllis Wick is dead. <laughs> Ding dong, the wick is dead. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, I just thought of that one. Poor this wick. Yeah, but anyway. Um, I mean, what she, I mean, another thing is, I mean, I wonder if, I mean, at the beginning of 1795 in Phyllis Wick, she gets in a carriage accident. Did she die in that carriage accident? That's, no, no. I think that's where they switched places because. Well, that, that's when they switched places, but I'm talking right. about in the original storyline. Mm. No, she didn't die. She, she showed okay. up at the, she okay. showed up at the old house yeah, and Barnabas different. found the original one and so forth. And then she went through the, the whole plot line as the original governess of uh, right. Sarah. And uh, without being so fully and, invested in the whole. Um, Right. Exactly, and and, and everyone's and everyone's um, relationship problems. <laughs> she was an employee. She wasn't. She wasn't fiddling with people's relationships. I didn't really run background <laughs> checks back in the 1790s. Yeah. Though, you know? I don't think she. I don't think she was throwing herself at. Um, what's his name? Um, who's the one that got got shot and got shot in the shoulder and had a head injury? Um, right. Oh, with Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, yeah, I don't think I don't think Phyllis Wick was throwing herself at Jeremiah no, <laughs> like <I don't>. Victoria <laughs> was. <laughs> and let's not forget since we're talking about Jeremiah, we have a brief appearance by Timothy Gordon as Jeremiah's ghost, yeah, who uh, comes to warn Vicky uh, about Barnabas, uh, and also Addison Powell did the voiceover, uh, for, and that's how he basically got his role. As Eric, as Eric Lang later on, he was originally the voiceover for Jeremiah, and he also played Judge Madigan once in uh, the 1795 sequence. He was the first judge that came to the, uh, and that's something a lot of people don't remember about Addison Powell, uh, that he was the judge that uh, Barnabas hired to try and represent her, and he took one look at the situation. He said, uh-uh, no way, and he walked away, and that was, and that was the last you saw of him. Yeah, I also think I also think that I love Dark Shadows being in color. Don't get me wrong. Yes, yes. but but I would sit there and say that if Doctor Lane came on when it was black and white, I think it would have been a lot more effective. His character. I think you're. I think you're going back to the Universal horror movies of the 1930s, uh, the Frankenstein cycle, where they where where it was all in black and white. And but they and I even got to give Curtis credit. I mean, they came up with the uh, with some of these original equipment, the original equipment in the lab. You know, you saw the Van de Graaff generator you're going to see and you're going to see all these little uh, little thingamajigs with the lightning, the the artificial lightning being created. And you'll see the yeah, they use the oscilloscope a lot. Which is really funny, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, they usually, you know, they just put the. Thing it doesn't on. really do anything, does it? <laughs> it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. It's just like it kind of reminds me of that Monty Python sketch um, and uh, meaning of life, where the woman's giving birth. It's like, oh, we need the we need, we need the machine. It goes bing. 
<laughs> they bring all this machinery in, even though like women's been giving birth since time since the dawn of time. <laughs> kind of reminds me, let's bring all this machinery in. It doesn't do anything, but it looks good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catherine Lee Scott is used very sparingly in this block. Yeah. When yeah. she, come she on, spends she's... a lot of her time wearing her bedspread. <laughs> oh that oh that is that the one with the big long dress that looks that's all colorful it's, it's all pat pat's work yeah at first i thought she at first at first i thought she fell because when jeff clark shows up i thought she fell asleep on the sofa and i thought that because she probably wasn't wearing pants so she got the afghan and wrapped it around her but then i realized and then i thought oh maybe it's her bedspread then it's like oh no that's the skirt that was the style back then the plaids and the long Mm -hmm. dress yeah but this was this was i mean but this was i mean this wasn't just a skirt this was it it looked like i know this was a padded quilted bedspread skirt skirt. (laughs) And there were bows and hairs. They really made her up, though. The first time that Catherine Lee Scott appears in this block as Maggie, uh, they really did a good makeup job on her that day. She really looked gorgeous. Uh, It's always gorgeous. I mean, but but especially that day. I don't know. I mean, they must have really been taking special care. And Uh, we've seen that Sam's still AOL, AWOL. Yeah, I have to ask. I have to. Well, when uh, Vicky's asking Maggie if Jeff can move in. Well, yeah, I have to Just let some strange guy sleep in the back of your house. It's like, you know, he doesn't have any (laughs) Really? You got that extra room upstairs. Can you put him in? Well, what what do you know about him? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like... He's hunky. That was that was really that was really cool. Um I I I also there there's some very interesting lines in there also where they where they talk about um sense of they talk about negative emotions and they and they Talk about sensibility. Uh, like, for instance, uh, Roger and Liz were talking. There was a very good scene, by the way, with Roger. And when Liz found out he got married, oh, they had a real blowout over there. Uh, that was a really good scene. But um, at one point, uh, Roger is talking about uh, hostility and sensibility as being this, almost the same thing. The people who are really normal, it's, it's sensible to be hostile. Right. And I thought that was kind of interesting. The Dark Shadows really, what Dark Shadows really did was to take all these negative, uh, negative emotions, and say it's okay, it's okay to be that way. That's why right. we are the way we are. Uh, there was an, there was another there was another line, and I think Stokes was talking about sensibility in terms of something else. But this, so it, it so it came up a couple of times, not that often, but you really got that. But you really got that impression that what they were trying to do was to normalize uh, these these the anxieties that were going on, the obsessions that were going on, and saying it's sensible to be like this. And, and, and that's the first time I really saw this in, 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 in mentioned in Dark Shadows. It was obviously the writing. But I thought that was kind of interesting. I think... So let's that's talk about our favorite character and our least favorite character. And we'll start with Vicky because... She loves this segment. <laughs> oh, I know. I just love it. Least favorite, favorite characters, probably, I hate to say it, but it's going to be Vicky. There's just not a whole lot going on. I know that she's a time traveler and all that. It's just, uh, she's she's got all the stuff that she's gone through. But I mean, she's still kind of, you know, whiny and the princess of darkness and all that other stuff. 
kind of sort of. I would like to say though that I mean I love her. Don't get me wrong. It was just this. She's this last few episodes kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But Professor Stokes is my favorite character in these. I I just love to see him. Uh, how he transitioned from you know the poor indentured servant, like I said before, into you know how he manifests himself as a rich, sharp professor. I mean, like I said, it shows his diverseness and his range as an actor and he's just so fun to watch and I like listening to him talk because he's just got that matter-of-factly thing going on like I'm smart and the rest of you are peons kind of thing <laughs> but he does it in a nice way so he, he almost seems insulting without being insulting but that's really all I got and what about yourself Tom I have to agree with Vicky I think I loved uh Professor Stokes uh, and, and I think, and I think he clearly, uh, he kind of, if they, if David is, uh, has a marvelous range and, you know, you, you were so used to him as first Matthew Morgan back yes. in the original yeah. and then he, Crazy. and he portrayed yeah. a real, you know, slays bag. And then Ben Stokes, the indentured servant who kind of reminded you of a nice Matthew Morgan. Right. Uh, and now a very cultured worldly professor, who is extremely literate, extremely knowledgeable, and is able to add uh, a really, uh, a really good. Uh, he's a good addition uh, to the to the Dark Shadows team, and I think it was a stroke of brilliance to put him as a descendant of the original Ben to establish yeah. that connection between 1795 and, and now. Um, other, uh, unlike the others, I mean, and I mean, but you really got, and of course you, because even the Collins family, they are descendants of Daniel Collins. And that is also mentioned in this block. Uh, but here you've got a direct descendant. So uh, that's the best. The worst has got to be Craig Slocum as Harry Johnson. Totally waste of time. Yeah, he, I forgot about him. Yeah, that that a, was a goner. He was, he, I mean, forget about it. I mean, you know, all he was, he was there for filler. That's and, how much, that's how much he made an impression on me. I forgot about him and complained about Vicky instead. Well, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> I saw, when I, as soon as I saw him, I said, okay, he's going to be the worst character. I could tell you right now. Because the, the but but most of them did a very very good job. Even Nancy Barrett, they didn't give Nancy a lot. Nancy Barrett a lot to do in this block. No, but but she was but she was she was pretty. And again, then when once Barnabas was cured, Nancy lost Nancy Barrett lost that range of being Barnabas's servant, which she did so well. And uh, no longer and, Barnabas's bitch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So but so she's back to. Sweetie Pooh Carolyn again, and uh, but but she did that fine. But those are my two. Stokes is the best. Uh, uh, Craig uh, Harry Johnson is the worst. And Keith, my my least favorite is going to be Jeff Clark, and this is not nothing to do with Roger Davis. I think it's because it's they st- he still needs to make he's 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 supposed to be this main character in it and. So far, what I'm seeing at the moment, he doesn't. He needs to have that punch. They need to do some of that character that gives him that punch that makes him like this is, he's a ride, and they haven't yeah. done that yet. And I know that yeah. this does, we will get this later. So right, exactly. But for this, but for this block at the moment, it's like you know there should have been more of a punch for him coming in. It should have been like bum bum bum, and we didn't yeah. kind of get that. He kind right, of just was right. there. 
Right. So, and I think that's more due to the writing, and because they had a, a lot of stuff else. A lot of the times it's their... due to the writing, so it's not really. Well, like... I think it's because they had a lot of balls in the air. So, so I think that you know they think, mm-hmm. oh, we need to keep him there, and we don't if we keep if we wait too long, that people might forget who he is. Sort of thing. Peter Bradford was kind of a not a it was there, but he was kind of you know there's there's not a there's not a great connect between the audience and Peter Bradford, I think. Um. So, but um, my favorite character is Dr. Lang because every time I see him, I just smile and laugh. And, I love and, him too. And I know that he's overacting. I'm not, you know, the thing is, I'm not going by acting here because right. everyone, everyone has done a fantastic job acting except for um, 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 Mrs. Johnson's son. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. Harry, Harry. Yeah, but I'm sure yeah. that we'll see a lot more chewing of the scenery um, in the next block with him. Yes, yes. But, um, but I see some. Lang, I mean, it's just, I think it's a stroke of genius to give that nod to, because I mean, when the show was coming out at the time in the 60s, at that time, there's this huge reemergence of universal horror being shown yeah. on television true, at this true. time. And true. to give that nod, yeah. and he knew, and it's almost like, this is a wink to all the kids who are rushing from home watching Dark Shadows, because they're watching these classic universal movies. And I think, and that's, I think that's why I like the Dr. Lang character. Even though... He's probably the reason why Tom's job about giving all the um, all the problems with this production with all the bloopers, bloopers. and stuff is going to give him a full time job. Probably going to make his you know segment very See, long. I'm on overtime with these with these bloopers. I have to pick and choose which ones. It reminded me of when they had the strike. So, so it made Tom's job work harder, but at the same time, it's made my enjoyment of the series a lot more. So. <laughs> he so is that, a lot of fun. I will admit that. I don't mind. But, but even Addison Powell, and of course you're going to see later on that even ad, even after the Dr. Lang character comes to a particular end, so to speak, his voice lives on and we're not going to... And, and, and boy, Addison Powell probably got paid every time uh, for that particular voiceover uh, that that you saw, so I think it was pretty lucrative for him. And uh, he's a, he was a pretty good he's a pretty good actor, by the way. He was on uh, Law and Order. He was on one of the first episodes of Law and Order in the first series. He was MacArthur, uh, and he's perfect for he was MacArthur in the 1977 movie, and he yeah. was perfect for that. He looked like he looks like him. Uh, Douglas MacArthur. So uh, let's 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 give Addison Powell's new. He overacted, but uh, and when, when I was a kid, fun. I think anyone who can dive fun. into something with so much relish is always a joy to see. He, he was fun. He I agree. You know, he was fun. You know, you know and, he, and, he, and even though he's chewing scenery, it, it, it is it's fun. I mean, he could do it the. You know what's that? What's that? Um, <laughs> They're fighting over the Mrs. Jo- Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Johnson's um, sons. Which too- actor is that? A Craig Slocum. Craig Slocum. I mean, the thing is, I mean, he chews scenery and it's just cringeworthy. And then, but then you get Addison Powell chewing the scenery, and it's a sight to see. It's a bit like watching, you know, you know, post. You know Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins. You know, it's like he became Hannibal Lecter with everything, but it's quite enjoyable watching him chew scenery every time you see him. Yeah. Now. But you also really got to forgive Addison Powell because I realized while we were talking on the podcast that he really was trying to imitate Colin Clive. So you know, Colin Clive is the uh, is the epitome of the mad Doctor Frankenstein. You know, who goes nuts and everything like that. You know, you know, the only thing you didn't hear was Elizabeth, Elizabeth. You know that kind of thing where he emotes, but and he didn't. And Doctor Lang well, pretty, didn't have but, that love love interest. 
But see, I think, you know, because thing is, you do see Addison Powell, you've seen him in some stuff than before. He's done mm-hmm. Dr. Lang, and you're going to see stuff with him afterwards. Right. And the thing is, I think they ask him to, no, we want more. We want more. And I think that's what they you're want. Because, right. because otherwise, he would have done it with his other roles. And that's not, you know, you're and we don't right. see that with his other roles. And I think they're going, bigger, bigger, bigger. And he does it. It sounds just like Dan Curtis to ask it to, and Leela Swift to ask him to do stuff like that, you know. Because remember, Dan Curtis was a great fan of the 1940s horror movies. He grew up with them. And so when he realized that the vampire thing worked, he threw the kitchen sink into the show. All everything was stolen. And the Frankenstein legend was the next thing that was stolen. So it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess this probably brings us to what our final thoughts of or these episodes are. And I'll start off with this and then we'll take a turn. I have to sit there and say that I am presently surprised with this block. I really enjoyed this block. And I really thought that after the, her fantastic job we saw was 1795, I really thought that a lot of times when you see a show and you get these fantastic blocks, you also you get this really big lull. And I have to then say that the I really like this because we they didn't drop the ball at all here. I mean, I was actually glued to all these episodes. My mind didn't wander sometimes, like it sometimes does with the, the soap opera sometimes. And I thought that was, th- these were very, very strong. I thought they did a fantastic job. We got introduced to some new characters that were exciting and new that added right. some more dimensions in it. We had character growth that we haven't had for a while now. And we got some really good character growth still going on, whether it's Victoria's character grew a little bit. Barnabas's character grew a lot. Julia's character grew. A lot. Um, and, yeah. And, um, yeah, because Sam. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth still, they don't, you know, well, Sam's, no one, you know, he's still getting over his marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of scared still. He, he's still dealing with real life somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Johnson and Mrs. Johnson, they really don't, they're, they're, character, they're still the same, you know. Right, they, yeah. Um, yeah. The thing is, though, what's quite interesting, though, but but the thing is, they're not in a certain way, because here we have Mrs. Johnson up until this point, who's like every, you know, she looks down at everybody. You know, she, you know, she's the person that's better than everyone immoral. She's more she's moralistically superior than everyone around here. And now we meet her son, who's anything but this oh, is yeah. the chink in her he's, armor. He's I mean, what, a little he's, criminal he's, background there. Precisely, you know the whole perfect world that she tried. I mean, it's like social media, isn't it? This this perfect world that they're presenting to everyone is not so perfect when you get inside that world of theirs. So, by the way, let's let's not forget Jerry Lacey as Tony Peterson, who with Cassandra already she decides that he's going to be the new um, that he's that he's going to he's going to be the new Ben but because Tony Peterson is so handsome she's going to go a little further yeah. uh, and you're going to see that he's in, so Humphrey Bogartish 
Still, still, absolutely, still in all. Uh, but it, but it's revealed that Tony Peterson and it really had a crush on Carolyn, and I was really surprised to see that. I kind of thought that uh, you know that he realized what she was trying to do with him and trying to you know trying to steal the you know trying to steal Julia's notebook and everything, and that's why he finally told her to put it in the safe deposit box where it belonged and uh but it turns out that he really had a crush on carolyn he was really and he's really annoyed then of course she takes over uh you have the various plot devices of the medallion the amulet uh which saved uh dr lang's life uh you also have uh god takes this uh the th- the thing that the doctors put on their heads. Uh, yeah, why do they put that thing on their head? I, 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 mean, I never, I never s- understood that. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe I, I actually I don't know. Uh, is but it to, is it to like reflect light into? I think it's like to reflect light. Yeah, maybe because it always has a hole in the middle throat. of it as well. So it's like. <laughs> Only if you're looking down somebody's throat. I got to ask what the, I don't even know what they call that. They haven't used it in over a hundred years, uh, but but they use that as a plot device in order to try and strangle uh, Doctor, you know, Doctor Lang, who went into another to another one of his uh, uh, emoting, uh, you know, overact overacting, and I'm going blind. I'm going blind. You know that kind of thing. Uh, but um, but. You you do now have a relationship that is developed between Cassandra and Tony, and that is also going to progress uh, as as we as we as we get into it more to the to the to the to the extent, as a matter of fact, that nowadays um, the um, a big finish a big finish which does the audio dramas actually did a whole series of tone of tony peterson cassandra dramas with lara parker and jerry lacy doing the roles that came out uh two or three years ago so there so the, a, a fandom developed a real fandom developed uh in in the, in the big finish dramas tony has become a detective and uh, cassandra is helping them out to solve crimes or something like Looking that. Looking for the Maltese Falcon. Hey, that's right. <laughs> yes, they have Maltese that's right. Falcon. That's right. So I have, have to sit there and say, though, I mean, the, with these new exciting characters and these new situations going on, it does come at a sacrifice, though. And as they've, as you're, you know, I noticed, especially in this block, and I got a feeling, you know, I haven't watched the next block yet, but I got a feeling that Joe's going to be hanging on for dear life or storyline soon. And it does have that feel to it. There's still a couple of things that are going to happen yeah, yeah. before they eventually uh, do away with him. But uh, right now, he's kind of in the back. He's 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 kind of in the background. He's kind of shoved away in order yeah. for new characters to take over. And there are and, and there are a whole bunch of them. And uh, I even have to say the the gal who played the nurse uh, during that first episode when when Barnabas opens his eyes. Uh, and she was on there for a day. She was uh, actually a love story, and uh, she was. Love you're sorry. So even so, even the extras, even the extras got their Catherine Balfour. That was her name. She was. Oh, I know that name. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, she was in Love Story. She was 
Well, a whole bunch of things. I only wish I could read my writing now. Put your glasses oh. on, Tom. What's that? <laughs> I have my glasses. I still can't read my writing. <laughs> I'll have to go back. 12 Angry Men, uh, yeah. Wuthering Heights. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fl- uh, flash, of, uh, flash of Green. Oh, the, uh, John Peter, the Trial of John Peter Zenger. Uh, you know, a few. So she was in a... Um, she was in a, a movie called The Defender with Shatner in the 60s, uh, Roommate. But I think Love Story is her, ba- is her, is her biggest claim yeah. to fame. And, and so we finally, we also, we continue to have these extras uh, that uh, made their mark, so to speak, uh, later on. And I just thought I should mention that. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts, Vicky, of these final, um, these final episodes, these epi- final this, uh, block of episodes? Week, anyway. Well, you know, I have years. to agree with all of you guys kind of hit all my points. Um, I, like you said, that there's definitely growth in a lot of the characters, um, except for Millicent, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Nancy Barrett. Yeah, Carolyn. Nancy Barrett. Carolyn. Yeah, there's not a whole lot going on for her, sadly. But um, as far as, you know... Uh, like, well, the tree, well, the, you have Trask, and then was Trask in these episodes? And then we, no, no, that no, was prior, right? We the we, we, we switched, we're, we're in modern time. Well, we're, we're in, in modern, modern times, okay. although, although, like, way ahead of you guys, I watched these like I'm like 100 episodes ahead, so I have to be reminded, I know, no, it's tough. but I, I love Dr. Lang in these episodes, and, and you know, and, and I like the mad scientist streak, like you're talking about, and it is kind of fun, like. Like Keith had mentioned, how they fight over the teleprompter. Well, I guess they're not really fighting over the teleprompter, but you know that they're kind of angling for it. I guess <laughs> talking about, and you know, and you got Victoria. Well, Victoria's kind of stable in this. She doesn't. Well, she kind of grows a little bit, but like I said, she's just the prince of dark, princess of darkness wherever she goes throughout most of these, anyway, because it's just doom and it's just doom when she shows up. Well, she's got a mystery to solve, so she's kept quite busy. So yeah, she got... is. She is. Sure. But I mean, you got a lot of stuff coming together because now she's got back, and now we have to deal with what's going to happen after she gets back. And I, I thought that she was going to have a harder time explaining where they weren't going to believe her that she actually was sent back in a time, but because of the, you know, the the how her and, and Phyllis Wick switch places so quickly. Right. It's so hard to, you know, doubt her, but it's kind of like a real crazy thing that's been going on. And so they have to, I, I think what this in the now. Yeah. See um, how I took that would be is that because once she gets back, things go in such a t- topsy turvy for every, every single character well, now yeah. that is like, She's got her own problem. We got her own problems to deal with. So we'll just let her get on with it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they didn't really, you know, for somebody who had just come back from 200 years ago and that actually, you know, had inter- interaction with their their ancestors, there's not a whole lot of curiosity going on, which I was kind of surprised oh, about. Especially since she comes back with a bullet wound. Yeah, and she does come home <laughs> with a gunshot From an antique wound. bullet. Yeah, don't from forget that. Bullet. How how yeah. Julia figured that one out? You know, know that it <laughs> But was, I mean, Julia, I I mean, she her she really does grow a lot in the in in these episodes. Mm. I think, and it's just nice to see the transition and how everybody's going to start interacting on on this this level, this playing field, because we have brought back evil basically. Because you know, you have Angelique's kind of snuck back in the back right. door. 
so I mean, it does get kind of it's it's kind of exciting. It's a it's a good set of episodes, you know. I, I kind of I, I really enjoyed these. I'm kind of ahead, so I'm gonna shut up now. What <laughs> <laughs> about yourself, Tom? What are your over overall thoughts of these episodes? Well, I, I'm, I'm with with the exception of some plot non sequiturs, like for instance, if Jeff had been killed, how would Maggie have been able to tell him about the dream curse? Uh, nobody ever thought of that one. If they decided, what was that again, Jeff. Tom? If Jeff had, if Jeff's head had been cut off, how could Maggie tell him about the dream curse? Because Jeff was the next one that had the, that had the dream. So if well, his brain. Okay, are we talking about when they're trick? Okay, are we doing a real Frankenstein storyline here? Is the brain also separate, or is it just no? It's actually, no supposed to be the brain. It okay. was in the original Frankenstein storyline. It was the brain. It was the yeah. brain, but the but dead here it's worse. the head. But whether it was the brain or the head, if if Alang had killed Jeff, how could Maggie have told Jeff about True. the dream? And we also forgot to mention that he was forcing Jeff to go steal body parts. That's right. That's the Fritz role in the original right. Frankenstein that Dwight Fry played. Right. Oh, Jeff here is handsome, and Fritz was a hunchback. Right. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. But um, but badly lacking. But to get but aside from there was there were a few non sequiturs, but aside from that, and that was one of them. But aside from that, I I thought it was engaging. Uh, I love the idea of the new characters in general. Uh, the, the, the two major things now here is, uh, Barnabas is back and, but does Angelique got him, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Gable's back and Garson's got him. Is it like that? Barnabas right. is cured. Barnabas is cured. Well, that's a well, temporarily thing. though, because it's they a said miracle. They're, 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 they're still looking for a long-term cure, aren't they? But, so, but right. it's still a major plot development. Right. Yeah, it is. It, this is something Julia wasn't able to do it. Nobody was able to do it. And all of a sudden, Langdon comes, and, you know, and now Barnabas, this is a major plot development. And this is why Angelique had to come back. I mean, well, Angelique is saying, well, if, if it weren't for Vicky, she never would have known what was going on. And that's true. But still in all, that doesn't explain, this is one of the plot non sequiturs. That's true. I can understand Angelique coming back because Vicky came back and she found out about the fact that Barnabas is living in the present. But how does Angelique know that Barnabas is cured? You know, and that was. But that, I that, mean, she's a ghost, but she's taking corporal. You know, yeah, but, I don't know yeah, what but she before, is. But, but before you know, Barn, but before Barn is a ghost cure, witch. she yeah. she could be haunting the um the painting because every time they show the painting, she's doing that laugh, laughing, yeah, or that's for Angelique laughter. It's a stretch. It's possible, but they never really say. They never really talk about that in the show. And by the way, when Lara Parker laughs, it's almost you can almost see where she was given stage directions. Okay, now laugh, and she goes, <laughs> yeah. and she doesn't really, she doesn't really do doesn't it that good. much. I have to give her credit. I mean, yeah. Oh no, and she's really into it. I mean, because this is the way Lara Parker actually laughs. Uh, so it was very easy for her to do that, but. But but in general, you have once again a number of plot lines going on at once. That's what that's what always engaged the fans when Dark Shadows was at its best, and we've talked about that. And the two major plot lines is to me are the fact that Barnabas is cured and Angelique is back to to put him back where he was. And there's always that, that there's that that tension. And now, in addition to Julia helping them out, you got Eric Lang helping them out, right. and then that Frankenstein piece, uh, and uh, and the fact that it, they do talk about the fact that Roger is actually a bigamist. 
because the marriage was never officially annulled to Laura, apparently, and now he's married. Well, t- okay, wait. She, refresh my but, memory. But she no, burned to death, dead. though. Would she, would she she be a widower? The, she burned to death. So you, but they you, didn't find her body, they, did they? That's right. They never well, did. They found a body. I well, no, they know. found a body in San Arizona. Francisco, but they or Arizona, but they didn't find right. a body in, in the fishing tent or the exactly. Fishing so oh, was yeah. so was so was this marriage? Why wasn't the marriage officially annulled after a little while? Why wasn't she just declared legally dead? And that was the whole end of it. I don't know why. Because that would make it too maybe. easy. Now, that's or what, maybe that's she, the soap uh, opera part. Yeah. Because they didn't want Daniel to be taken away, so because Burke was the dad. No, I'm <laughs> we will never David. know about. And we don't see David at all in this block, by the way. He's no. off in Boston enjoying himself, you know, uh, that kind of. And, and who is he staying with? Probably an aunt or something, because I think they mentioned that. Yeah, who year. they said he was staying with? That you know? They don't say here. They don't say here where he was staying with. But I, I remember, remember he had an aunt something. from the old days, Aunt Minerva or whatever the hell her name was. Uh, that's probably. <laughs> That's, pro- that's probably that's probably that, where it that is. does sound like a dark shadows name, doesn't it, Minerva? Yeah, Minerva. Actually, it is a dark shadows name. You don't yeah. want me to tell you where and when, but we'll come to it. Yeah, it, is it, a dark like a, it does name. sound like a dark shadows name. It has to. It be, is dark yeah. shadows name. Yeah. Fans know who it is. The the, the old time fan. Oh, Minerva Task. Ah, you said yeah, it. I, I, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that. Gregory Transcribe. They're in the Quentin Collins storyline. That's right, from 1897. Yeah. Oh, so I like that. I like that storyline when that comes up. I actually enjoyed that part of it. That was, a great, that, was a, that was the most popular in the entire show. Uh, that's a story in and of itself, but we haven't gotten to that yet. But there's a lot more to go. There's a lot more to happen here. A lot, a lot, lot more. A lot more. But I love I really love this one. Uh, not as good as the 1795, but it's still very engaging. It's got a lot of stuff going for it. And there's more to come. So I think that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast, Dark Shadows, Episodes 461-42. Our next episode, we'll be doing soap. We'll be covering Episodes 9 through 16. We'll be carrying on that, and that's one of our quarterly episodes to help finish off. And of course, um, next month, we'll be doing our classic novels, which will be H.G. Wells' Time Machine, which will have a full cast of um, podcast co-hosts for that one. So make sure you join in for that one. Bewitch will be continuing with. And of course, our two for one will be Mad Max and Mad Max Fury Road. Our next Dark Shadows will be episodes 483 to 505, where we'll learn that Cassandra is not who she says she is. Dr. Lang starts his experiments. Julie and Barnabas create Adam, and the dream curse starts making its rounds. So that's good night for myself, and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.